Okay, hello everybody. This is uh, Training Without Conflict podcast number 17. And this time I have as a guest Susan Garrett. She is a, well, I don't think she even knows we need to introduce her. She's so well known in the dog training community. Um, very, very successful agility trainer, multiple times world champion. Also has her online courses and classes. Uh, very interesting podcast. And what what I think it will be interesting in this conversation, because she's considered, in my opinion, at least one of the, the top level, if not the the, the the best one as far as force-free training goes that actually goes and competes and does dog sports with her dogs in a not successful level but winning world championships. So um, typically when I talk to people that are force-free or positive-only trainers, they're, they're m- much more on the just pet training side, which is nothing wrong with that, but... I feel that now I have a conversation with a fellow trainer that is interested in dog sports. We both have been multiple world championships in different disciplines of dog training, which I think is going to bring some interesting points in the conversation. So, Susan, thank you for uh, accepting the invitation and uh, welcome to the show. Introduce, give us just a little bit more um, I know there is a lot to say about you, but I, I think people that don't know about you should, should, uh, um, yeah. Well, thank you for, um, inviting me and, um, and I hope that we can set an intention that I, I came with a specific intention because why would I come to a podcast of somebody who philosophically does not agree with the way I train or I don't agree with the way they train other than to have a really positive outcome for everybody. So um, I, I, I would love for you to consider what is the intention of the invite. You probably already know what it is, Ivan, why you invited me here. Um, and I don't, this is the first time I've ever done any kind of broadcast behind this wall of trophies because I consider this such a flex, but I did it because there's this, um, crazy notion that training in a reinforcement based way, um, people don't have success. And I'm like, I'm going to give it a big old flex. This is some of my world championship and U S national championship trophies. I like to keep some of my favorites in my office in the house, but, um, that, it to to open people's eyes of yeah yeah it's possible it's possible so don't keep moving goalposts because this is possible and i actually had a great deal of success in as a balance trainer i don't know if you knew that ivan um before i i i came over to this side of that that line that line that divides us all um I I started in the sport of dog obedience, was passionate about, because before that I came from the world of dressage in horses and I competed in dressage and I loved the nuance of working on something for six months. And then, you know, the thing that most people hate about dressage is what I loved about it and then to get it. And, and so obedience to me was like that, but a lot easier because you got success a lot faster. Uh-huh. And um, I worked with a school that had success in competition obedience here in Canada. And then I looked around and said, I, I want to go to the best of the best. So I looked around the United States 
And I narrowed it down to two or three trainers that were brilliant at the handling because I wasn't very good at the handling. And um, so I was using, I've used chain collars and then I went on to use pinch collars and I got perfect scores in obedience with my Jack Russell Terriers and my Border Collie. And I won many, many high-end trials. Also, I was on a flyball team that set multiple world records in the sport of flyball at the same time. And agility was my third love because it was such a boring sport. Because agility was such a new sport in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, so, so I had success at, at the highest level for, for this level, for this, for the, for those sports. Yes. And, um, and then, um, there was an evolution for me. And I think people who follow me, follow me because they, uh, they resonate with my core values and core beliefs. The same with people who follow you, Ivan, they resonate with your core values and core beliefs, but I would love the reason I, I I'm sitting here is because I'd love to shine a light on our core beliefs create stories that we tell ourselves every day that support thinking that maybe is old and maybe needs to be reevaluated. And so, um, you know, I'm not delusional to think this conversation is going to change the world, but I'm slightly delusional in that I think it, there's a possibility. And uh, so that's why I'm sitting here today. And and yes, I I'm my uh, book in 2005 was named Dog Training Book of the Year by the Dog Writers Association of America. Um, a, a book that I had previous to that, Rough Love, very very popular with all venues and sides of dog training. And I would love to share my thoughts on that book now because I wrote that book more than 25 years ago. So um, I don't know. Do you want to know a little bit about my history? I, about this is yes. This is exactly kind of what I wanted to. I just didn't want to interrupt you, but definitely, yeah, we want to put some timeline in in everything and yeah how, okay yeah definitely sure, definitely sure. so um i i started in dogs in the confirmation ring with my sister as a teenager and i think even a backstory to that is i um i was i was raised by two parents who uh, absolutely loved each other and um in a home where it was basic. I have nine brothers and sisters, but um, I never, ever heard my father raise his voice my entire life. My father um, would tell us how much he loved us and would tell us to, you know, love one another. Arguing is in the way. So I think potentially my philosophy of how I train dogs initiated from seeing two loving people raise a family of children. I was never spanked. I was never punished. I was never grounded. And I, I was a straight A student who never took drugs and you know, ended up by, you know, the world's terms, I guess, successful, but very, very happy. And so um, being I was dyslexic, so therefore didn't learn the same in, a, in an era where nobody knew what dyslexia mm -hmm. was. And, um, you know, I, I've talked very openly about that on the podcast in hope of inspiring children who maybe have some learning disabled disabilities, or what people have called learning disabilities. I call dyslexia my superpower because it forced me because I couldn't really read. It forced me to become brilliant at the powers of observation. And as a child, that's how I learned. I, I was the world's greatest mimic because I didn't want anyone to know that I couldn't understand what was being taught or or I couldn't read the same way other kids could read. So then I got into dogs in the confirmation ring and I used to look at comp competition obedience like it was magic. 
whenever I had a break from handling dogs as a kid, I would like, that is voodoo. Whoever can do that, they're magical unicorn kind of people. And, um, and then I got into horses. And of course, when you have a horse, you have to have either an Australian Shepherd or a Jack Russell Terrier, depending on which way you rode. I rode English, so it was Jack Russell Terriers. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and when I started, I went to a, 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 an obedience school in, in puppy class when she was 10 weeks old. And six weeks after that, they said, would you be one of our teachers? Because, you know, I, I had this understanding. I wanted a chow chow in the worst way as a as a 15 year old. So I read all the books on how to raise and train your chow chow. And I learned about how to be a compulsion based trainer as a teenager practicing on my stuffed animals. And I, I, I even used my sisters. She showed Salukis and Sky Terriers and I would practice on them and they put up with it until um, when I put myself through university, I was milking cows and uh, every farmer I worked for, they said, Oh, train the puppy. And I came up against a rough collie who wouldn't be trained with that kind of methodology. And that was the first thing was like, well, I knew I could train my pet poodle tricks. What if I just trained everything like I did a trick? So that was my first kind of, you know, thinking about that. I went on and got my um, degree in animal science where I got introduced to animal behavior. And um, but, you know, it never all clicked for me. And it was the dogs that taught me. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember showing my border collie. Um, my late husband was a very well-respected obedience uh, judge. He, he judged all over the United States and many countries. And um, I remember saying to him one time, you know, I don't, I could, I have, a, I have about 200 tricks. My, my border collie could do so many tricks, limp with this paw, limp with that paw. I mean, everything you could imagine. And I said, if I walked into your ring and you just pulled tricks out of a hat, I would nail them every time she would never get one wrong, one cue. So why am I using compulsion to get obedience? Like, I don't, I don't get that. So when I went to this trainer who I was working with in the States, and she said, well, they have to know that there's no choice. And I'm like, well, why? So that was the first thing. Then I got a Jack Russell that I trained for nine Remy, months. It has no choice. Was- Ch- tell me just for a second. Yes. Uh, the it has no choice. Uh, kind of. W- well, the example that mean? she gave me is: what if what if you threw a dumbbell and it landed in a pool of urine? Would your dog go get it? Okay. And I okay. I said, well, I hope the yeah. judge would give me a rethrow. Like I don't think that yes. like I could train yes. her to go get it but I think the judge would let me throw the the dumbbell again yes um but for me it was um this little Jack Russell Terrier named Specky that I I'd had um for uh, a little over nine months I used to have this exercise that I did with all my dogs and I'd had you know a Jack Russell an older Jack Russell border collie and now this young Jack Russell I throw a frisbee down a hill you get 10 throws you lie down the next dog goes you move before ah, ah, no pop pop you stay there everyone knew the rules specky was not going to live by those rules and i learned there is no correction strong enough to stop the will of a jack russell terrier and it hurt my heart to keep escalating my punishment and so i i thought well what else could i do it brought me back to all the tricks that I trained. And so I just used reinforcement, a different way of looking at reinforcement. Because unfortunately, when we talk about reinforcement, most people think cookie. Oh, my Jack Russell is not going to stay for a cookie. No. A reinforcement-based dog trainer understands a cookie is like 
1% of our tra- dog training. And I think that's, that's a, the, the big aha that I, that I'm, I'm unsure that the rest of the world who criticize us really gets. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to stop my bulldog from chasing deer. If I say, mommy's got a cookie, I don't care right now. I want the deer. So, yeah, so, so reinforcement-based like dog training is not food. If you say that, like I know, I know a lot of people that are listening would, would wish to just jump into our conversation and say, what do you mean <laughs> that you cannot stop the Jack Russell and not be able to suppress it by using an aversive? Um, oh, wait, you could. I could. I could, I could su- suppress it, okay. but I couldn't stop it. Because suppression means it's only going to stop for a little while, then you have to follow it up with more corrections. Mm-hmm. So maybe I could get her to stop for a bit, but it would always come back. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, if you can get a Jack Russell to think what you want them to do is your idea, they will walk through fire carrying a gasoline can for you. And that's all I had to do. And then there was nothing. My my Jack Russells were every bit as accurate in their obedience work as my Border Collies yes. when I made that switch. Yes. So would you say that, um, I know we're going to keep going with the story, but that's uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. We stay for a moment here. Um, yeah. Would you, would you say that it was the, the, the easier approach just because you had control of the environment and you can use very well negative punishment and the positive reinforcement and when when that's possible it's it's very easy for any jack russell or any dog to to say you know what even if i try to go it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't lead to anything so the only way that i can get it is by listening to mom and doing the things that she asked me to do because that's the way am, am i on the right track or Unfortunately, she did get punished. She get did get reinforcement because she learned not to go when I was throwing. She learned to go once I'd let go. Mm-hmm. And so she got to chase the border collie and bite at her face, which is all that she wanted to do. Okay. And so and so um I had to come up with a strategy of reinforcement that helped her to understand that she could get something equally as reinforcing just finding out what is that equally as reinforcing for that dog that's so driven and you know almost feral because once a dog goes into drive it's harder and like you said all of this has to has to be taught in an environment that you can control right so um reinforcement based dog training like if i go walking with my dogs and I have 28 acres here and we have a lot of wildlife, coyotes, deer, um, all kinds of raccoons, you name it, we've got them. So when I go walking in the morning, it's not unheard of to wake up a deer. And a lot of times my dogs will go, oh, did, did you see that? Now, these are driven, high, crazy dogs who, because I controlled access to reinforcement when they were younger, right. built up through strategies of reinforcement, they don't care. Right. They right. care more about me than about them. And what people, you know, um, as you know, I went on a thread last week to find out more about where people feel they need to use punishment. And I'm like, huh, 
well, there's just different strategies of reinforcement that I would use to get those same things. So, um, so that was for, for Specky and Specky was, I, I thought if there's ever a dog who was autistic, I thought she was because back then I, my dogs rode loose in the back of my sedan. And if I went 58 miles an hour or higher, she would, she always used to like curl up in the back, you know, the, the hat rack at the back of the car, the sedan. We all my, had my one of those like, at one point, right? Terrible, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Did we love those dogs? What were we thinking? And, um, but as soon as I got 58 miles an hour, she would jump off of there and dive under my seat. So she was stimulated by things moving fast. Like she was not a normal dog. She didn't learn in a normal way. And, you know, my other Jack Russell, I could get her to submit and she would go, yep, no problem. I'll do what you want. I'm never going to question your authority again. But yes. no, so I guess the, so, so that when you when you were going uh, uh, with, with this and I think this is. Um, hmm, because. Like I, I don't consider myself. Let me let me start here. I, I really don't consider myself. Uh, I just I'm, I'm a dog trainer. I'm open to any training. So it's not a like as as I told you in previous conversations. I've read your book. I I know who you are. I know what you do. I know I know pretty much everybody that it's worth that I consider that I need to know on any side of the uh, uh, extremes. It doesn't matter to me, but. What I'm gonna say is that, um, especially this, especially goes for so-called balanced trainers. Yes. Not all of them, but quite a few of them. They they focus on the the suppression of things, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, don't focus on. They they pick up the the worst battle the. The, the moment when the dog is really like at the highest peak of his commitment and motivation to do the thing they want to do. And they're like, okay, now we got him. Let's do that. In, and not realizing that all this can happen in a very different place with a very lower, lower arousal. And mm-hmm. you learn and teach a concept and then move that concept to where it needs to go, and um, that that's kind of where you were going. I'm assuming with the with the, uh, your dog, Correct. right? Right. I mean, this was uh, back in um, 1991, and so what I know about reinforcement based dog training in 1991, you know, could fill a thimble compared to what I know now. Um, but I knew I had to try something different, so I did, and um, and it was it worked just with reinforcement. But back then there would have been a lot of negative punishment as well as reinforcement. And now, I mean, I, if I'm using negative reinforcement, I know I failed somewhere along the negative punishment. I've no, I know I failed somewhere along the way. So, um, so but that then was, you're that looking was, much more into, uh, uh, like errorless type of learning. Is that it? I hate labels. I really do. Because if I you say that you don't... for dogs. Can we just say that? Right, right, right. But if we say that we are not using any form of uh, punishment, no. meaning no. you're not really suppressing, uh, you're not stopping, then you have to focus on so, things being you know, the way you want. Th- there's so many 
there's so many splitting hairs of terminology. Mm. So what is sure. negative punishment? Like I said, my game, it's your choice. Technically, some people would say that that's negative punishment. But if I have a dog engaged, who's in a high state of arousal, who can see the opportunity to learn reinforcement, and I close my hand on that reinforcement, and is that really taking the dog's joy which is what is my driver of behavior is the dog engaged in a way. And so that's, that's so benign. Um, you know, people don't even realize the negative, the, the, the negative reinforcement that they use every day at the park when they take a leash off, when a dog's barking and screaming and clawing, cause they want to go into the, the pond. So, you know, we say never use neg, you know, negative reinforcement. Well, guess what? You do it every time your dog, wants to go and say hello to the neighbor and you open the back gate. So, you know, right, right. Error, errorless learning. Um, do I try to minimize or eliminate mistakes? I try to minimize and eliminate mistakes in a learning phase. Once my dog understands the game, then I like to use mistakes because I think that helps them to have clarity of what is correct. So if I never use mistakes, then that puts pressure on me never to be human. I, I, Because I love if that. I'm an agility, if I'm an agility handler and my dog has never experienced going to the wrong obstacle, that means I am never going to make a mistake as a handler. And my dog needs to understand that perseverance is so important. Um, I think in any dog, not just sport dogs. So mm -hmm. um, my my bulldog rescue, who is a, a part um, pug and part bulldog and part uh, Boston Terrier. And um, he's 50% bulldog. Is it the Superman behind you here on the yeah, photo? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's Superman. And, um, you know, he was a rescue dog because he, he was... I mean, he was just really badly behaved because he was so, there was just so many problems in the way he was raised. And, but if, I don't know if you've ever been tried to like cut the nails of a pug, for example, they scream like humans yes. and he and has they make that. Those and eyes. He, <laughs> oh my God. And so little things like that, like, how am I going to get this dog who clearly at 15 months have a history of somebody trying to cut his nails and he used his head as a weapon to, go from like we can either have them tolerating having their nails done liking their nails done or loving their nails done hating their nails done isn't an option with a brachiocephalic breed because i can't put him under i can't take him to the vet and put him under to get his nails done tolerating isn't even it because i can't hold him i can't force him to get his nails done i have to move him to loving his nails done it's like a recall now If he knows somebody's getting their nails done, he's like, no, me first. No, me, me. So, you know, all the things that people think can't be done with reinforcement can be done with reinforcement. But here's the thing, Ivan. I've been doing this for now more than 25 years. So guess what I'm really, really, really good at? And that is the use of reinforcement. If you've been doing something for 25 years and you live it and you breathe it and you sleep and you wake up and you dream about it, There's no part of my my dreaming or planning that involves punishment. So all I can do is focus on reinforcement. So I get really, really good at it. So and let's, when you're let's splitting your attention, second. sorry, go ahead. No, I, I just because I like 
there is so many things that I have to catch up and then I forget my thought. It's just a lot of That's interesting okay. stuff, okay. you know. Interrupt like me, I we, get on a roll. If we go, yeah, but I love it. I just, I, I, I got to try to follow. Um, just so I don't forget. So um, back to the, you, you basically, what you said just a, a, a little while back is probably the, the, the more logical op- opportunity to, to teach and to learn and interact is to trial and error, basically, instead of the errorless yeah. running. And I think that's why you have those trophies behind you. And I think that's why I have my trophies behind. And, and I believe it's a very, it's not even matter of scientific facts or no, it's just a hands-on practical training and, and proven practical training that um, there is point in time where error, uh, trial and error, it, it makes things very clear, correct? And you can move on into a very, okay, this is, this, this doesn't lead, but this is what I need to do. Am I, am, am I right with that or, or did I Yeah, I think it, it also depends on what happens during that era. Um, so my, my goal is when yeah, my dogs I didn't want to trap you. I didn't work more, more yeah. keen. Yeah. When I so when I say trial and error, and excited. I, I didn't want mean yeah. to like trap you yeah. to where it's okay error. So therefore, let's no. punish it. It's just it's just very simple trial no. and trial and sometimes, error. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, well, pretty much every time. Like uh, uh, here's an example that I use: um, the difference between a world champion uh, agility handler and a novice agility handler. Like uh, as with your sport, there's just so many places you can make mistakes, um, and just not even with the dog training, just the handling alone. There's so many places you can make mistake. So if you, if you, if a world champion has a, a new dog and they set them on the start line to practice a sequence of a, a six obstacles, I can practice that sequence 10 times and likely my dog will get to the end and get a reinforcement 10 times where a novice person would start the sequence and the dog would break the start line. So that's, one trial, zero rewards. So they bring them back and then they would get to the second obstacle and the handler would take their eyes off the dog and the dog would go off course. And so then they'd bring them back. That's two trials and zero reinforcements. So, you know, there's a potential for people, people who aren't as experienced or skilled, but want to train with reinforcement based dog training to have a dog that's very unmotivated because they're not getting the reinforcement rate that my dog is. But what I do for those students is, well, number one, hopefully I never put them in a situation where they'd attempt to do that without a really solid understanding so that the flaws are likely unlikely to happen. But number two, if the dog makes a mistake, we, we give them a reinforcement, not yes. for making the mistake. Like my dog breaks the start line. I don't say, oh, here's a toy. No, I say, you get back in here, you heal. And then I'll do a heel pattern, boom, boom, get back in. I'll reinforce you for getting in back into, into location. Yes. So the dog doesn't pay the price because maybe I didn't set up my contingency properly or the, uh, the student isn't as experienced to get reinforcement. So if my dog is going, for example, I was doing some discriminations with my puppy the other day. And um, when she made a mistake, I had her hop it up into what I call a hot zone, a dog bed. And she got cookies for that while I went with the next dog to do this discriminations. And, and then everyone got their turn. She got the same level of, re- same number of cookies as if she got 10 right. So I did 10, 10 um, rehearsals 
this was a, a specific point that we've been having a, a hurdle we couldn't get over. She still got 10 reinforcements, just not for what she was expecting to get them for. So mm. trial and error, I would never set them up to test them unless I was pretty confident that they were going to get it right. And then when I've, I've gotten to that level, I push them. So I might push the criteria to see if they how brilliant they are. And sometimes they go, yeah, I got this. Or they'll make a mistake. And often the mistake causes me to laugh. So what do I do when my dog makes a mistake in training? Nine times out of 10, I laugh at them. That's, so, that's um, um, very, very interesting stuff. Um, I, I will add to this, like I, in my experience, because I, I played a little bit with agility. I, I, I've done almost everything to some level just because either because somebody came and needed help or because it was interesting to me. So um, early 90s, it was the time where I played a little bit, but much later on, there was quite a few people that, you know, from the agility circuit came for help thinking that I will do something uh, that I will do some form of aversive but I will do it very intelligently and specifically like the biggest problems in agility breaking the start and being vocal Certainly during being vocal during during the the run right and mm -hmm. in neither one I had to use aversives because it was easy to to, to actually get the point across. And it, it, almost mm -hmm. every time that this happened, um, people were like, okay, they, they come with the expectation that they're coming to me because this is the approach I'm gonna take. And, and there is not always one approach and it doesn't necessarily need to be, okay, I'm really good at this, but if, if I see a dog breaking a line, it, it's, it's a, not that hard a solution, as you know. I mean, one of the things is right. just, just just reward them for being there, not not expect them to go all the time. You know, just put it on a little random schedule. It, it, it can make a big change. And it became a very, very popular, very big sport. I think it's also um, under pressure from from animal rights group, for, at least in Europe, uh, it's becoming, I don't know how it is in the States really with this now, but I- I, I think everything in dogs is under uh, PETA's eye, that's yeah, for sure. I, I start you know, to- Putting your dog in a kennel is under PETA's eye. Yes. Right, yes. true and, story. And this is uh, a I something. Think, um, in the, when I, um, so I transitioned to what I could, could know as reinforcement-based dog training in that early 90s period you're talking about. So I started agility in 1989 and um, I transitioned to, I wanted to do anything without any kind of positive punishment, verbal corrections or, um, you know, verbal markers to stop a dog. And um, so I started that in 92. I got, I went to a, a Karen Pryor and Gary Wilkes seminar I think it was 91 or 90. And then I, I went to Ted Turner, a whale, killer whale trainer, went to his seminar. And anyway, so that started my, because of all those things, experiences had built up in the back of my mind. So then, but here's the thing. People thought I was crazy because I was starting to get known as a good dog trainer and started to get invited for places to teach seminars. And now I'm going to leave everything I've known 
and go and do something completely different. And it was a massive risk. And I remember when I brought um, my red border collie, Buzzy, out in, he was born in 1996. He was trained entirely with uh, reinforcement. I love your dog's names, by the way. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, Buzz, certainly, he he lived up to his name. His registered name was High on Emotion. And um, he's, uh, you know, I look at some dogs in my world as sacrificial lambs. And Buzzy was the sacrificial lamb for my evolution because he got way too many timeouts and way too much negative punishment. And I believe that contributed to him being so high and so frantic and so crazy. And... um, but I learned so much through him. And he was a dog that you could have, he would have, he would have happily lived with a balanced trainer and got any kind of training because he just, that was just who he was. And he just came to me at the right time in my life. And so he's, you know, I think a lot of people started following what I did because of him. However, when I first came out, I have a videotape, I don't even know if you know the big VHS. Remember, you take oh, those and you take wait. the VHS tapes and you, I you just know, had you go to and wa- pull, video your runs. I just had to pull one of those and I have this combo player that still I can still play them. We just watched one of those last <laughs> night. <laughs> oh. Well, the, the very first time I brought Buzzy out and uh, he was crazy. He must have knocked five bars and was screaming and just frantic and in the videotape and behind somebody said well this will teach her she can't do that clicker shit with every dog i'm sorry mm, am i allowed to say shit mm, on your podcast no no you you can um, you can say anything goes here we're dog trainers so, so so that was what you know and that was the voice that i heard from everybody because when i would write on these forums back then we had yahoo forums and it was like all of the yes. best of the best trainers were yes. on those forums right they shared everything and um people would say like really established people that were at, on the us world team you know they would tell people dogs need punishment and agility for coming out of the weave poles especially high drive border collies they won't understand they need a physical correction on a choke collar or they or on a pinch collar and dogs need punishment for knocking bars and i would say yeah i don't think so and then the story moved away from susan's wrong Susan's going to learn to when Susan kept winning then the story changed to well that will work for Susan because she's a good dog trainer but it's not going to work for anybody else and now I think the sport of agility is just you know they've they keep evolving and and learning more and more and more about how brilliant reinforcement could be so I mean that's a challenge because what you what you just said is very much the same uh, uh, with me and I think it's very much the same with every successful trainer like I in in my training with IGP and, and you know I also breed Malinois I've been breeding them since 1989 um, yeah. so I breed and I train my own dogs in my own way and I win world championships and guess what there is still the people that will say well he can only train his dog he can only do it with there there is never you cannot satisfy and i know exactly what you're saying and and i've given up on this at some point it's like right. i do my thing and 
of course you have something to say. You're always going to have something to say. But anyway, that was very, uh, like you just said, something that happens to top competitors across the board. It's called moving the goalposts. It's Mm. moving the goalposts. So people will say, Okay, reinforcement based dog trainer will work with training will work with a border collie because they're so easy to train. Yes. But it won't work with a terrier. Yes. Well, you just keep moving the goalposts. <laughs> yes. Now it won't work with a bulldog or a rescue dog or a keep moving the goalposts because we all have our own beliefs. We t- we have a story that we keep telling ourselves. And if it, if if what they're saying isn't true and if what I'm saying is true, then they are have to do what I did back in the 90s and step away from everything they believe about dog training and go in a different path. And that is a huge risk. And there's very few people that don't have a fixed mindset about dog training. And if you have a fixed mindset, you're not going to look for growth opportunities. And I've always had a growth mindset about everything I do. And I and my mindset back in the 90s was, well, I know how to get a top obedience dog. I know how to get a top agility dog with this, but I don't know if I can get it with that. I'm willing to take a risk because I can always go back to that if I'm wrong. And I, and you know, once, because nobody was doing what I was going to do. And, and so I was willing to take that chance. And now of course the evolution. So every sport in the world has got people doing what I did. And, and it's, you know, it's flawed thinking, I believe, but again, it goes back to, what resonates for you and your core beliefs? And I told you my upbringing. Um, I I never. Yes, yeah, I was true. never punished as a kid. That 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 influenced me going in the direction that I did. So it might be harder to believe if you were raised with more punishment in your life. It might be harder to believe that that an animal will do what you want mm. unless they know there's no other choice. But. Like so I, I, I just haven't found a behavior. Oh, I got one, Ivan. When I was doing competition obedience, and this is where I got a video for you that I want to share. Hmm. When I was doing competition obedience, you know, it people could say you could teach this, but could you stop that? So teaching with reinforcement, but could you stop a behavior that an animal has already started? And in 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 competition obedience, one of those behaviors that kept coming up was mouthing dumbbells. I don't know. In your sport, is that a problem? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And and is there a, a a a accepted methodology to get a dog to stop mouthing the dumbbell? You know, like in 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 my sport, I think. Um, and, and I because really, you guys have wooden dumbbells. I really don't want. You? To, yes, we do wooden dumbbells, and they're so uh, even three more, different more sizes. And we do with jumping. Yes, and and chewing is a, especially as you go to the highest level. Chewing is a problem. Chewing is. Actually, do you lose marks the, for that? Yes, but chewing is uh. almost the 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 least of problems. Uh, we need what we look in our sport is we 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 need the dog to be stress free. We we don't like a dog that's very fast but it's suppressed. That that's leading mm-hmm. to a disaster. That's never never of never course. encouraged. So we want speed. We want precision. We want a nice hold. And then we need a nice, uh, uh, nice out to where it's yep. not, it's not a. There is no hesitation to out, but there is also uh, that presentation. It's not like okay, I let go, and now what is next? It's just a very, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's yeah. almost too too crazy to accomplish to yep. perfection, right? 
so with my my boy Buzzy, he liked to mouth. And when I asked people what to do, I was told spray bitter apple, um, put an elastic band around the dumbbell and snap it in his face. <laughs> uh, keep telling him no bite, no. I mean, there was a lit, just a litany of things that I'm like, no, 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 no. I took an oath when I took this puppy. I was going to try training in a certain way. So none of those things are going to be an option. Like, and so I'm going to show a video of. I hadn't introduced a dumbbell because I knew innately that he wanted to mouth everything. <laughs> so I'll show a video of me just doing some retrieves. Now this was like 1998. I love um, it. I'm just doing some retrieves with him. If I can, is I it, it. alright if I share my yeah, screen? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's go. Okay, so I'll start. This is just me, and some of it is fast forward because it's just him mouthing, throwing different uh, toys for him. Oh. Sorry, I jumped it. So mouth, mouth, mouth. He roll it over in his feet. He, everything you want to retrieve, this is how we did it. This is a little under two. Mm -hmm. So my goal was that I want the same enthusiasm for the toy. I don't want to lose that. And um, I don't want him like being worried. I want him, I want him, oh, I like that one. And it's still going to be a game. And because nobody had a way to fix it, then I had to figure out how to fix it myself. And so I'll show you then. This is just, I just cut the, the video sure. in half so that I could explain it. But I'm just as excited. Sure. So when I would approach a dumbbell with one hand, that meant we could play a game. But two hands. So when people people keep moving the goalposts, I'm like, okay, there is nothing. I'm I'm confident there is no reason that I would need um, to use punishment in, in you know positive punishment in my training. And um, you know, well, what about this dog that's broke, or what about this behavior, or what about it's established? Like on that on that thread so where I was let me commenting. Yeah, so sorry. when you yeah. when you how how did you accomplish? When he was chewing, what was the, how did you, how did he understood chewing is not a beneficial thing to me. Holding it nicely and firmly is the way to do. How, how did that, how did you got that message to him? 
because I've studied, I've done nothing but study reinforcement. So I knew I had to find a way to bring reinforcement to him. I, yeah, I got not, that. not mouthing. And so all I did was I, I, I would never do it within the context of reinforcement. So I did it within, can I teach you to hold, I just use, um, I could use a pen, but I used a, a piece of PVC. Uh-huh. Can I teach you, I'll put this, I actually put it on a string, put it between my legs and I would sit down and shape him to, can you just do that? Can okay. you do that? Can you do that? Now let's, now can you do it? And now can I smack you and play games with you while you're just holding that? Bring value for just doing that behavior. Yeah. Rather than trying to get him to stop something. Right. In the midst, like you talked about, yes. the dog's high. You're going to suppress a behavior. You're going to you're going to ruin your relationship, or definitely yes. have a a divot in your relationship with that dog. Even if you and fix it, you're going to bring more unnecessary exactly. baggage in. Exactly. So, how did you handle it when, of course, there were times where he said, "Okay, maybe," even even if consciously he didn't want to, but maybe he did. Did you? What? How did you handle it when he actually, you know? Clearly, when he is good, so he so then we're talking errorless, or you or, or he never tried to. Chew. No, I I would. That's why I taught him. You could. Do you see how he chewed when I brought my one hand? Right. Oh my God! Yeah, chew on, chew, 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 chew. Two hands. Okay, never touch. Never touch. Yes, never. but one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there so, has to so, be a transition somewhere that he understood that two hands. And as he comes to you and the presentation and the two hands, it means no chew. That means I, that I somewhere along the way, you had to explain that, right? How did he figure it out? Possibly in the, in the game with, with the little dowel on, on a string. But because before it was ever brought to a dumbbell, it was just never, it was never something he ever did. And so... That's in that video. That's why I purposely revved him up excitedly the way I did with all the toys. Don't you want to chew? And what you know, what's really, really funny as he got older, instead of taking the chewing on the toys and starting to chew his dumbbell, he actually stopped chewing on his toys for the retrieve. So when I do this, when I used to do this demo at obedience seminars, I had to put the chewing on cue so that I could get him to chew because he actually stopped doing it because this got so much reinforcement from me that that part went away. Like it was crazy so, because so that is innately be, what he wanted to do. Right. So would it be fair to say that you basically, if there was some slight chewing, you just kind of didn't pay attention to it and you focused on rewarding the, the, the good, the good I mean, try. So I mean, this was, because this was I cannot be convinced ago. that, he never, never did. Yeah. Well, we could draw it. We could, we could bring in a quarter of my peers who knew Buzzy back then and who saw that demo over and okay. over and over okay. again. Okay. So let's yeah. say, let's say he never did. Would you, would you say that? What, okay. What yeah. Do you let's do say we, he did. What do you, let's just you, say he did. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So if he did, I would follow my mentor, Bob Bailey's philosophy. Number one, I would find a, a sharp edge in my kitchen to bang my head on because clearly I didn't reinforce <laughs> enough the strategies that I put in place so that he really would never want to do that. Because I always look at, and not just me, people like me, behavior is information. 
Behavior is feedback on how good a job I am doing on my training. Behavior is like, I think sometimes, and, and I don't know, but if if I was a person that used reinforcement or used punishment, and, and honestly, the, one of the biggest reasons I went away from punishment is because I'm too bloody competitive. Mm-hmm. I love freaking winning. And that is a dangerous thing when you involve another living creature. Because I don't want to ever lose what I have in the house for what I can get on a podium. Yes. And I know that about myself. So punishment had to be out of the question for me. Yes. Because in the heat of the moment, in the need to win, who knows what potentially I might have done. I've never done anything because I left that world so long ago. And so for me, I think that that is um, that is a big a big thing for for all of us. Like it, I'm not unique now. There's so many people out there. I love that, that the young people are doing it. Right. That are right. they're they're like, and this is what I think as as humanity. You know what, Ivan? No disrespect to you. You're not a youngster anymore. Tell right? me about but that. The kids, <laughs> the the kids coming up. They have a higher level of consciousness than I ever had when I was in my teens and 20s. And I know, and I said this in a podcast, I don't know if it's 20 years, 50 years, or 100 years, that punishment in animal training will be just a notation in a history book. It will be gone. So I can only keep my fingers crossed on this. This will be be ultimately the best thing. But, but it's got to be people who say, I'll take up that challenge, Susan Garrett. I will leave what I know. Like I, I mentioned, Debbie Zappia did when she came here to train with but me. Wait, wait, wait. Wanted... Let's get, let's, hold on, hold on, because I'm going to forget all of my thoughts here. We'll get to this. Hold on. This <laughs> is, this is very interesting. So, so, oh my God. So, uh, um, one, one thing so, I want so to make behavior, sure. Be, be, let me just get back to this, this statement because it's really, really important. Yes. Behavior, I believe, if punishment is an option, then behavior is, is a statement. That dog's being stubborn and he's saying, not today, Susan, I'm not doing it. But I never look at behavior that way. I look at behavior as feedback on how good a job I've done and helping you to understand what I need from you. Behavior could be a symptom of, oh my God, I've got an upset stomach or I have a thorn in my foot. Behavior could be communication of, I'm not clear what your boundaries are for me right now, but behavior is never a statement. And I, my hallucination is that if I was using punishment, behavior would be me interpreting a statement from my dog. And that's when people, I believe, turn to punishment when they really shouldn't be. Right, right, yeah. So I know like, I, I know we're going to get to punishment. I know we're going we're gonna to have to talk about difficult topics, mm. but not yet. Uh, what I want to mm-hmm. make sure, and, and this is, um, I hear it quite a bit from the force-free community. When I have somebody on a podcast, they feel that I'm trying to kind of lead them into somewhere so I can trap them and they can admit to something. And I, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty independent woman, so that's good, not going to happen. Good, because this I want to make sure that you you understand that when when it's time for me to ask something very directly or have a mm-hmm. or have a disagreement, we will have the disagreement, and and I think we can have a intelligent disagreements, and it's it, it uh, that's not the, um, but, um, <clears throat> in in for right now, like if we stay with the 
hold example. Let's assume I am some, you know, we, we are back in the 70s or the 80s and all I know is pinching ears and doing all these things that I don't even want to talk about. Uh-huh. And, but I want to learn from you. And you tell me there is this way. And I am asking you the question, so what do I do when he does chew? How, how do we go from a dog that's not chewing to a dog having always perfect holds? Because, again, I'm also two times world champion in a very difficult sport. I'm 15 or 16 or I don't know how many times national. I'm very, very, very good dog trainer. All of my dogs will make a mistake and sometimes they will be chew. And I believe that every dog... It's, it's somewhere in the repertoire, even if it's put aside for a very long time, it's not that unlikely to happen. So my question to you is, what is your advice to me at that moment? Um, I would ask you to look at your training videos, which of course you video every training session you do with a dog, correct? Which I do, we are, we are crazy. I'm sure okay. we are so, have a lot of crazy. Video camera's <laughs> always on. So... When did you first see the first mouth? Or, and, and my hallucination is it would probably be uh, as a regrip just before they release. And that regrip, that regrip um, might lead to then a, a chew while they're holding. So you, you've got to be able to pinpoint when it happened, what was going on, go back and look at your history of reinforcement. And it, is there another layer of understanding that needs to be added to that dog? that, um, you know, all of it, it could be superstitious to me. The fact that I gave him the permission to when he could chew on the dumbbell and when he couldn't. Is that part of it? I don't know, because I've not done it without. I did that with my terriers as well. Yeah, in this way, I am very, very good with allowing, like my dogs, even, even with the dumbbell, they can destroy, they can actually like totally destroy it. But in the context of an exercise, there is a very clear understanding that this is what we do now. And and well, I haven't been that generous. I've never let yeah. him destroy a dumbbell, other than he can. When I put one hand, he can play a game with me. That's it. So that he 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 would never have access to to play with the dumbbell, do anything with the dumbbell, other than in an interaction with me. So, so um, let's say I know, like, uh, I mean, uh, I, I can argue that I, I, I would, I'm very quick to, I'm really, really very self-aware and I can break down, I can train three days in a row and I can break down every single session to the smallest details and I can tell you when the chewing happens. I'm sure you can do the same thing. So, yeah. so let's say we know when it happens, how, how do I go about not letting it happen? Do I try to avoid the, that moment of when the chewing is coming? Is it something that we're trying God, no. to control no. antecedents? No, 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 no. We, we, we want the dog to do exactly what he wants to do. I just want to know what, it, what created that. And I use this example, like 
any other example. I could have used chasing wildlife as my video example. I could have used any right. anything right, right. people would say I'm going to use punishment for. So it is what what is the strategy of reinforcement that that give that dog the drive to not to, to do not and, and and you can't think in terms of not chew because that I don't think that's what Buzz learned. Buzz Buzz learned to hold. He didn't learn to not chew. Okay. The difference? Okay. And, and yeah, that, I mean, it, it's so, like he also learned a perfect front. He also learned a perfect heel position. Yes. He yes. didn't learn, right? Like, it, And it, I it believe, was, it, I, it, I mean, obviously, I cannot not believe or argue with that because clearly I'm looking behind you and I know that you can, right? There is, there, I'm not doubting that. My, my thing is, and, and if we... Don't get it, it's no big deal, of course. But my thing is, I guess where I'm going with this is that if if some so-called balance trainer or something say, well, what do I do in that situation? And and we cannot give them uh, um, the, the secret sauce or the recipe how to handle this. Like I can tell you what I do if my dog would be, if, if he choose, I would just say, hey, this is, don't do that. And then he will stop and they will go, ah, oh, that's my boy. And, and that, it's enough communication. And I believe the dogs, you know, like we can, we, I, I know we're going to go there, but I, it's not about this right now. It's not about, do you say no to your dog? Do you not? Whatever. I, I do because I believe in trial and error. I believe that my dog recognizes my emotions. My dog knows when I, oh, I really like this. It's like, no, 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 don't. Oh, this would be like, if you ask me how to resolve it, I will most likely guide you in somewhere in that space. And But I wouldn't. Right, and that's where I, I'm so genuinely interested so, to know how, you know, where I go. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this, this little story. Um, I shared a video last week about uh, my nine-month-old puppy who is a uh, Staffordshire Bull Terrier crossed with Border Collie and Papillon. Oh, wow. And she's super <laughs> intense, very much. She makes she makes Buzzy look calm. <laughs> she makes Buzzy. She, I have never had a dog so high, so intense in my life. And um, so I showed a video, nine months old, here are all the things that I've done. And in the video, um, you know, there's a bit, there's a, um, me cutting her nails. She's just lying on her side. It's not me. It's Kim cutting her nails. There's me um, doing come into to heel position on this side, that side, and she just comes in on her own. And then I I throw a cookie and she quivers and I tell her get it. She dives on it. I get her back in the heel position. I throw a cookie again. She goes to dive on it. I tell her sit. She sits. Boom. At the very very end of the video, there is a little clip of her wrestling with tater salad, and they are like like they're right into it. Right. And then I just say, Billy, boom, she comes over. So I get a private message. Can you tell me how, how to do that? Did you, my dog won't do that. My dog won't come away from being playing with another dog, but will your dog lay down and have his nails cut? Will your dog sit when you throw a cookie? Will your dog? So buzz holding a dumbbell, isn't a tool in my toolbox. It's thousands of layers of learning 
of manipulating reinforcement, not just cookies, but his drive to chase, his drive for this toy, his dr all of these manipulations into layers. So if I had a student who said, I have a problem with the dumbbell, I would say join recallers. You get those layers. And then, then you have a better understanding of how to ma manipulate reinforcement and how to create a cooperative arrangement with your dog so that that you can now do that. So no, unfortunately, if you are, you come to me as, as without that, you've come from a foundation where a cookie means a lure. My dogs have never seen a cookie as a lure. So they don't learn sit that way. They learn that that is something that they earn, that I could throw cookies on the floor and we're working and then, and then maybe you can get to earn some. So it isn't like a tool I can say, here's the magic sauce, Ivan. It's not a gimmick. It is it is a crescendo of layers. Does that make sense? Honestly, it's a very hard to to get to to agree on this. Just because of, of all the years of training, I know that I I will have like no matter how perfect the plan and the execution of that plan is. And, and that gradual, like, I, I know exactly what you're saying. The, the point that I have, a, that I'm not getting is, I am not convinced that the dog, just because of that perfect plan and perfect execution, will never make uh, uh, a mistake or, or or do the the thing that we don't want him to do i i well i, I in the, this is in very the, hard the, for in, me to to i do have examples i can give where my dog will make a mistake for example a running contact where i have to get them to put their feet in the yellow and in that learning situation as they get faster and faster there will come a time where they will like sail over but in the concept of holding, because, I mean, I just find joy in getting my dogs to hold different things, like for pictures. And if I, you know, back in the day when I would lay on the couch and watch football games and the remote would be on the other side of the room, get that dog to hold the remote, don't push down on it and change the channels. Like, so I, they learn to put things in their mouth and hold and never, ever touch them. So the hold example, it, it, it just works. But there are times but when I, my dogs... So, don't so. do what I expect. And I just go back to how can I create a different layer that isn't there already so that you okay. understand. Okay, so so probably and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but probably when when let's say there was that little chore or there was you know, in any situation and the dog makes the mistake, you're letting it slide and you're focusing on the right stuff. Am I correct so, or no? Because I'll give you the example of the, the running contact because what I did, um, first of all, we all laughed. And then I got the video camera and took a screen cap of the moment she did this massive mistake. And I put it on social media um, because it was hysterical. So behavior is information. Behavior isn't, isn't good or bad. It's feedback on your training. And so by looking at it like that, I go, there's so much we don't know. And and like I, I I've used this example before. You know, training in a in a balanced way or even 
like balanced trainers use a lot of great reinforcement. So even going, you know, a more militant way of dog training, that kind of dog training is hundreds of years old. It's like the game of golf. The game of golf doesn't really change that much. Reinforcement-based dog training is like freaking pickleball. It's brand new on the scene. So what we know now is nothing compared to what we're going to know in 10 years, in 20 years, and 50 years, which is why I keep saying if you're using punishment, get ahead of it. Because like it's exciting to me how fast reinforcement-based dog training is changing because there's so many minds now, especially yeah. in the sport world. Like I just I and that's why when you first asked me to come on your podcast, Ivan, what was the first thing I said to you? I said, let's train together. Yes. Let's, you know, very true. You invited uh, wow. me. You know, yep. that's the we, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> no question. You know, that, come up here, bring a dog, let's do some dog training because um there's there's just so many opportunities if you're willing to let go of what you, you knew yesterday. And that's a hard thing for people um, because they have a belief about the role of the dog in their life or the role of them in their dog's life. And I'm still I'm still on this. You know, I've been doing this a lot. I've been competing for a lot of years. And it's still exciting to me because I'm still on this journey of learn. I, I feel I learn, I know that much about reinforcement based dog training compared to what I'm going to know. And That's... so it's super exciting to me. And there's so many amazing, brilliant people that are doing some really cool things. And it, it's, it's got to be, I always look at it is from, is this my ego that's preventing me from learning from somebody who is not you know, as experienced as me. No, I'm not because I like to train. I always tell, and I've talked about this in a podcast is I, I train from a place of my soul that I want to align my, myself with my dog. And if I'm trained and if my dog doesn't do something and I'm triggered by that, that's my ego. That is not my soul. I only want to be training from the place of my soul. Again, that's a little out there, maybe, but that's honestly how I approach uh, my life with my dogs. No, I love it. I love it. Um, I will, I will, I'm going to try one more time and then we're going to move on. Um, yeah. I, it just kind of, I, I really trying to get this and, and I think some, some of the people that listen probably will too. And like if, if I come to you and I say, well, I have a dog that's chewing. And again, it's not about the chewing. It's just a, a one example somehow we picked on. But mm -hmm. I, I'm coming to you. The dog has a little problem. And we put him on a plan. And I understand the plan. And I understand the training. And I follow it religiously. And I call him and say, Susan, he, he kind of a little crunching there, a little, what do I do? What would you tell me? Would you say, I would, I, would yeah, you say, I, would I didn't, say, what I didn't we follow tried? the step? I didn't, and I would say, yeah. well, I, I think I followed the steps. Well, um, I would get, I, like, I would get my, my students, they'd send me videos, I'd see what they're doing, I'd give them feedback then, and, right. and we would put 
you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people miss out is putting arousal in the training sure, very, very sure, early. Sure, sure. Because especially for dogs that are driven, like Border Collies or Mal's, that they need that arousal. They need to be able to be thoughtful and drive. And that that if we don't, if we try to train them in a sterile environment where we're burning candles and incense and humming, then that's not what where the behavior needs to be re- reproduced. And, you know, I think I uh, love amazing, some of your analogies. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, I know very little about bite sports, but I do know that biting um, for a lot of dogs is so reinforcing. So that would mm. be the challenge. And but, I believe that that you know we know so little about how we can use the the drives of the dogs for okay. their reinforcement. I'll, I'll, I'll have to say that you just moved the goalpost. I like this one. I've never used it, but but that's a good one. <laughs> I love it. So let's say I, I have a border collie and I do the sport you do. And, yep. and I send you the video and you see yes. my making the mistake. And you say, okay, well, yes. this is what needs to change. Mm-hmm. And I say, I got it. And then I ask you, but what do I do? Was it okay that he chewed and I didn't say anything or should I have done something? This is really yeah, no. where I'm going at. No, um, I, 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 I'm not going to do anything because the dog okay. chewed. Okay, That's, no, that was like, it. I'm going to take the dumbbell out of their mouth and I'll probably throw them a Frisbee. Go chew that if sure. you want to chew something. And then I'll come up with an, um, another layer. There's another yes. layer of learning that needs to be added for that dog to completely understand. Yes. Um, and I probably, Ivan, I probably wouldn't let that dog have a dumbbell for like a month. Because I want to then put in more drive, more games, more understanding that this is never meant to be got it touched with your teeth. Got it, and that's that that's uh, that's that's where I was going. So, and, <laughs> and we it don't only need took to me label like 40 it. Forty minutes to give you that answer. <laughs> yeah, and we don't need to label it what exactly that is or 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 not. You know that that that's that's really answers. Um, you know, and and so we to. To go further with that one, I, w- I was going to say, but I think we're going to really just kind of keep going in circles here. But I'll, just as a quick one, like I, I know. I'm it, trying it, to give you straight answers. No, I'm no, not, I I'm love not it. trying to blow no, you off. I, I just don't, I, I'm not sure that it's, it's, and I love the questioning because um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in conversations with people that, that think at least similarly to me, even if they're thinking similarly in a different sport. I love talking to people yes. who are doing what I'm doing in different sports. Um, but to talk to somebody that doesn't necessarily think similarly, it, you know, it is, um, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be clear, but I don't feel like I am because you keep coming around to the same question. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, but no, God. you, you just answered that. You mentioned something in the beginning that I kind of want to mm-hmm. get back to it. And, and I don't know if I got it right or no, but it sounds like you, you're not that fond of negative punishment. Um, I am not fond of the overuse of negative punishment and it's a transition. It's a transition period. So when I wrote this book, um, rough love, it was, um, it was in 2000, uh, 2000 that I started writing it. I think it was probably published in 2002 or something. And it's funny because, um, somebody texted me or sent me a DM behind the scenes of this conversation last week and said, 
you know, you, you say you don't like punishment, but isn't rough love got a lot of punishment in it. And um, that, that is the transition. So you, you're, you've got one foot in the, on the dock and one foot in the boat. And you've got to make that transition to go all in on reinforcement. But, oh, my gosh, I've had so much success. I don't want to take that foot off the off the dock. So I think the transition between punishment and going to a reinforcement base is the use of negative punishment. Okay. Because it seems it almost seems more benign in your brain. Right. Even though I think it's it's it can be the overuse of punishment. I don't care if it's negative or positive. Correct. is emotionally taxing on a dog. Correct. I mean, it's just been, that's been proven. So, um, so that's, I think that's a natural transition for people that they, they give more time out, but um, I'm constantly questioning what I do. And if I withhold reinforcement from my dog, then I've got to question my role in why that reinforcement wasn't earned. And, and it and it's never that the dog just didn't do it because I know if I've done my job as a trainer, my dogs will never not do it. When people say, I, you know, I need punishment for when my dog won't lie down when I tell them, that's never going to happen. If I ask my dogs to lie down, they're going to lie down because of the way I've trained them that and if they chose to, I would say there's something like they're not feeling well or they're they're terrified of something. Those would be the only like they're in pain or they're terrified would be two reasons my dogs wouldn't lie down. And I would expect them not to lie down anyway. That's communication. I want you to keep that communication open with me. You're not going to lie down because this dog's charging at you. You're afraid that behavior of not lying down when I asked is communication. So I'll scan. Is something coming that I don't see? Oh, okay. I see why you didn't lie down. That's communication. So, um, yeah. So this leads me. No, no. Well, this but. is good. I'm, I'm following. I'm, I'm. I, I totally like what we're talking here. Um, what, what I was thinking as you're speaking, and I don't think. I don't know. You, you tell me, but. It sounds like to accomplish what you're saying, and I'm not doubting that it's impossible. I have doubts that sometimes you will say something and the dog will blow you off. I think that's that's very hard to to convince me as from a trainer perspective. But if that's possible, that means that you have done some amazing job from from the very beginning which uh, like amazing job, but also very tasking job, very like consuming you to where it's like every time you say lay down, you have to make sure that you don't just throw random commands that you're not going to follow up on um, to where I have with my dogs. And, and I think most people like I can call my dog five times and he's like, I'm peeing. And he's not peeing, but he decides to pee just because I'm calling him. And I will give him slack. At the same time, I know that I can say, dude, you're coming back now. And then he says, okay, come back now. So I think in your uh, um, training, and this is what I'm interested to find out. How much slack do you give to your dogs? I don't. Right. I mean, if they're peeing and I go, oh, my bad, and then I'll give them the cue to pee because 
a lot of my dogs would continue to pee and then walk while they're peeing over in front of me so that th that's how ingrained it is to come right. when they're called. Right. But I feel bad. Oh, my God, you were peeing. But um, a tater salad move would be, you called me, I'm going to pee. That's not going to happen. So then I am going to, and I'm not going to like, you know, go, yeah, bad. I told you what I'm going to sure, do is, sure. okay, note to self. I'm going to start calling him and at times just before he starts sniffing so that, and, and I'm going to gradually get closer to the time when he wants to pee so that he knows that, you know, you don't, don't pee when I call you. Mm -hmm. If you're not peeing, come. If you're not, and you don't have to pee. So, yeah. but like all the training I do is a game. Right. And so my dogs love to be part part of it. And I know that you do a lot of games in your training as well. But so so that um, but if I say something, I look at my a conversation with my dog is like a conversation with my my friends. I'm not going to say something and not mean it to my friends. So why would I say something and not mean it to my dogs? Right. Yeah. So this is good. This is very good because that's kind of, you know, makes makes me understand um, as I said, like I, I would call my dog and he wouldn't come and I'm like, okay, whatever. Or I would be walking him on my flexi leash in town going to get a drink or, you know, and it's like, okay, come walk next to me. Then he walks next to me for two steps and then he's like, okay, I'm walking again. And I don't mind it. And the reason I don't mind it is because I know that when I say, hey, this now means we're really like now... We are making that. So, thing. do you have a different word when no, you no, really mean it? Yeah, some people. So, so some I mean, people do you not do. see that as very inconsistent? No, no. I, like I'll, explain. Dog, I'll explain. I'll explain. Let me explain. My dogs know that that they can count on me being consistent right. in every part of their life. Right. So I I believe that um, a lot of trainers would have a different commands, like you would say, lay down or relax, versus whatever the competition the the you know, the, the command that you don't refuse, that it's 100% reliable. Um, I, um, I don't do that because I believe in, in, in context. In, in Like if, if I say, hey, Susan, let's go play hockey and I meet you at the arena, we both gonna wear the hockey outfits or at least they're gonna be in the bags, right? We're not yeah. gonna come yeah. with a with a football outfits, and right. and I believe that if I take my dog tracking, it's a context. It's like no, we are driving to the fields. I'm wearing my boots. There is the long line. Like we we're, we're clearly here not to do protection or 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 anything else. So I I'm you know I find that, um, but again that's kind of me since you ask how how I would do. Um, sure. So the way and I look at it is... And that's why I mean is, that it's a very, like, it's my, like for me, this will be, whew, my, my brain's gonna, I, I think I'm not gonna be able to, to be so uh, conscious about every time I ask my dog to do something. Like I, I can be on a computer, he's barking, and I'm like, dude, shut up. And then he stops for a second. And then, of course, he starts again, and I let him go again. That's that's me, you know, and I think yeah. most people actually are like that. And if I am consistent in everything, I, I trust what you're saying, but that's going to be so tasking on me. But okay, there are things that I 
there's things we manage and there's things we train. Mm-hmm. My dogs, when you, when you come to my house, are going to bark and probably they're going to jump on you too. Tater salad for sure is going to jump on you. <laughs> Those are things I don't care about. Right. If I cared about them, then I would fix them. But the dog going for a walk and then going to go sniff, that is reinforcement. I have to be brilliant at what reinforces my dog because I only want to use reinforcement in my training. I don't want to use punishment. So I have to recognize, like my my two-year-old Border Collie loves to run. So in order to get a lot of the skills that I have with her, she had to give me perfect heel position in the field and then I would give her a cue to, to run. So, you know, pre-macking, what is of massive value to her? So knowing that sniffing, um, I want my dogs, when I go out for a walk, they can sniff. They don't have to walk beside me. That, But if I say with me, then you're walking beside me and you're yeah. not going to sniff. Yeah. So if I was like passing somebody with another dog or something, I just want to, everybody just come on in here and you're with me. And then when they pass, then I would just give them, you know, a release that they can go and do what they want. They can sniff, they can hang out. They don't want, if they hang out, they might get reinforcement, but they don't have to, right? But to, to, to just recognize what is of reinforcement to my dog so that I can use it in my training. And so that I guess is a, um, you say most people won't do that or don't do that, I agree. They don't, which is why most people end up yelling at their dogs. And I I just, I don't want that, I don't want that stress for me, right? If, if, um, and you know, it's like anything, you you keep reinforcing it and you just get these amazing dogs that just love being part of what you do for their entire life. But yeah, it's a different kind of work. It's work that I love because I love figuring out what they love. (laughs) I'm laughing because like, really, I just put myself walking on the street and asking him to heal. And And then giving him a cue to walk. Like, I probably will just say, you know what? I'm not going to even bother asking you to heal and we're going to just pull each other. I mean, I'm not going to let you drag me around, but we're going to just kind of pull each other because if I ask you to heal, now I'm going to be stuck of making sure that this happens and on top of that it happens, making sure that there is the consequences. And I was about to go and do something else and all of a sudden it becomes about you and I healing on the sidewalk, right? So that's, that's I guess, a little bit uh, difference between you and I. And, and not just I, you, you know, and I, I think the, a lot of the trainers. I learned a lot of this from like Buzzy taught me so much and he was obsessed with water. The first time I let him go in a pond, I timed him. He was just like a 10-month-old puppy. He wouldn't come out. So I, I'm like, it was it was like 40 minutes, and he was still like swimming and barking and being crazy. So I got him out, and then I we have a pond on the property here. So I, I needed my, because I have friends whose dogs died in their own ponds. So as soon as I learned how much he loved the water, I started to teach him, you're never allowed in the water unless I tell you to go right, in. Right. And so... So I would let him go in, call him out, and then, then you know, he would do a sit or a down, then you get to go back in. And what I learned, the dog who would swim for an hour now, he would swim for a lap and then get out and get really excited. Like, actually, he learned he liked going in more than he liked to swim just because I did so many recalls. And I would never call him out after I learned that he would he would give me a reliable recall in the water. 
but he loved it. So I'm like, okay, I just used that to reinforce something else. And that back in 1997 got my wheels turning to use it for more other things. However, yes, I remember once being dressed, ready to go to church and he decided he was going for a swim and I had to go and jump in the water after him. All I've heard dressed you say in my that story. I don't know where, but I, I've listened to you, that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that I would do that now. I, 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 I'm not as obsessive because it's punishing to the dog to jump on them and grab them out of the water and pull them out. But what I would do is go, mm, more layers needed. And I would be able to go off to church, put the dog up and then go and, um, put in more layers when he's right. hot, when he's more aroused, when he's whatever it is. Yes. And, and again, this is, this is all like, I thought I, I get it now. Uh, and, um, it just, uh, it, it's, it's tasking. It changes, well, you know, I mean, having a dog and I, I'm saying it's different, right? I don't call, right. I don't think it's taxing. I think it's fun. Right. I love figuring right. out what every dog is different, what every dog loves. What is it like for tater salad? He loves the games on walks and that's, you know, he used to, when, when we got him, we have a 200 acre golf course. And when we first got tater salad, I got to go visit the golfers. Every single one of them must meet me. And so it was like, there was a lot of management. And, and then like, I think he's now five and we've had him for three and a half years. So maybe year two, he would only visit. And every golfer that he would go visit, they'd let him get in their cart with him, right? Course, so that right. he'd get reinforced. <laughs> and, um, but so yeah, all of that is figuring out what is it that he loves? And using it, I had a student with a golden retriever, and I, this is the only dog that I suggested an e-collar for. She was also a very good friend of mine and one of my instructors. And the dog would work brilliantly in agility, actually was on the Canadian world team eventually, but not at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it would like a switch would flip and it would be gone. It would go, it would run and it would be gone. It'd be a like, speck like and you would out, never see outside it. Outside the, the... Just, uh, yeah, oh. we don't have any fences here. Right. And um, so one time I was teaching in California and I phoned home to see how everything was. My husband said, talk to Linda. Linda's crying. The dog was in standing heat. It'd been gone for an hour and a half. They ended up finding her playing with some ducks in the pond at the golf course. So... Not much reinforcement there for field bred golden, right? Exactly. And so now, <laughs> now we've had so many repetitions of this behavior. I said, Linda, I think we've got to find somebody who really understands an e-collar because I think she's going to die because she's going across highways and this is dangerous. And she said, this was back in the 90s or yeah. And she said, Susan, I, I know there's an answer. We just don't know it. So I would prefer we work through this with reinforcement. Bob Bailey just happened to be up the next summer uh, and we talked to him or the next week and we talked to him about it and she actually did it with him. Did a seesaw, got reinforcement, did a jump, did a dog walk. We went to reinforce her and the switch went and she was gone into the woods. And Bob said, well, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> but we figured it out. Nice. And we used reinforcement to fix it. The dog went on to be brilliant, had a brilliant recall. Um, we but went now back you and know I'm videos. so curious to hear it. it. I'm, I'm dying to, to, to hear well, what, how did we do? What we, the, 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 the strategy was when she was a puppy in class, 
um, I would go around to the groups and that puppy would come up and like, she was one of those goldens that wiggled and jump up to your head to say hello. Right. Like she's just crazy. And she would leave work, go and do this. And then Linda would go spirit and she'd come running back and get lots of fun tug. And then we would work out in the agility field and she would do the same thing till she got to the fence. And then she would be called and she'd come back. And what we weren't realizing, she was just going till she couldn't go anymore. Mm. Till the day she got to go and there was no boundaries. And then she was gone. So it had been a rehearsed behavior growing up that got reinforced when she came back. So then we add all the reinforcement she got for the running. And so um, then what Linda, I mean, she talked to a bunch of field trainers. What, what, what would you do? Of course, most field trainers back then did use electric collars. And we just came up with a strategy of um, putting it on cue. So we had cues for people, for dogs who love people. That's the big reinforcement you get to go see. And then a cue to go get lost and not care. And when we saw a glimpse of her, we would call her and then she'd get reinforced. And then working on other things that built value for doing things with Linda. And gradually that re- that recall was instant. And, you know, I'm kind of going through that with my little puppy right now, the nine month old, because she loves to chase the border collies. And so she won't come back. She'll come back in the house, but not in the field. So I play with that all the time. So how quick or, you know, I'll get this recall, this recall. And I've got like 90% recall. It's not good enough for me. I want a hundred percent. Right. So how much into drive can you be and me call you and you say, I can't come. Like I know varying levels of drive, like any really, really driven work, working breed. Like once they get to over this level, will they listen? And that's what I want for my agility dogs. Yes. Because we want them to do bite work or agility without thought. Because if they think about things, then they're not going to be as good. Yes. We need them to be without thought in their work, but still be responsive to what we say. And so, you know, that that's I love that challenge of very high drive dogs and being able to accomplish that with just using what reinforces that dog. And it's not going to be a cookie. I mean, it's for for a working dog. It is it's almost unheard of. And in my 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 um, history with working with high drive dogs, I can get them to the point where they'll work for cookies. But when they're at that stage, when we start um the cookie isn't going to be the thing that that is going to be their reinforcement. Yeah. Eventually yeah. No, I get it will be. I get it's it. always about I, and I transferring the value one. of the drive. Yep. Um, yeah, there is a, um, yeah, it's totally, totally get this. Um, but so the golden goes into the pond with the ducks that one time and you just go and take worst, her back or, 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 Yes, I was I was in California, but yes, they went and they I think they got ahead to get a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> she was just having a great time. I can imagine. And um, okay, yeah, get her back. And um, and that wasn't the last time it happened. Like I think she got we were in Florida one time, and that's when she went across a highway, and that's when I said this has got to stop. Right. She's right. going to be killed. And um, 
So yeah, the, the, the strategy and in it again, everything in dog training that's successful has got to be distilled down to a process that can be shared. So, um, that's, that's how, what I've done, like I've had success. And then I'm like, if I'm going to train this to pet owners, which is what I do now, we have 10,000 students in our classes right now. We've trained tens of thousands of dog owners online, pet owners with rescue dogs that are biting them, that are creating all these problems. The ones that get success are the ones that, that are patient to follow yes. the process. And, and in six months, they have a different dog than they did when they started. And then a year, they have like the most amazing family pet up they possible. And then they keep staying with us and they keep getting more and more and more. But it, it only comes when people like you and me can systematize what has brought us success and then continue to question, is this the easiest way for pet owners to achieve the same success? Because pet owners aren't going to work through problems the way I will. And so the the students that we put through our programs, we started in 2008 uh, with our online programs. The students that we put through like in the first five years, unfortunately, don't have near the success the students that we've had in the last five. And we're going to continue to evolve both the systems of how we teach dogs and more importantly, the systems and how we can engage people to want to teach dogs because that's the kicker. It doesn't matter how good we are at uh, training dogs. If we can't train people in a way that engages them and shows them hope for themselves and give teaches them to give themselves grace while they're in this learning phase, that they're not going to be Susan Garrett right out of the gate, but that doesn't mean they're not going to move forward from where they are today. Yeah. No, this is all yeah brilliantly said um yeah i have a question it it it's always goes around and it's uh, it's like a label and mm-hmm. i always try to understand exactly what 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 does it mean and you may may not have the answer but what is what is a punishment based trainer you know that that's very commonly use terminology i can give you an example <laughs> back um i think in the united states you have this and we have it in canada there's there's an annual of the top obedience dogs in the country the top agility dogs and the canadian kennel club puts out this and everybody who's the top dog gets to have an ad in the dog's annual and Many, many years ago, this this fellow with his golden, who was the top obedience dog in the world in, in Canada that year, and his dog worked, as you mentioned, dogs must work with drive and enthusiasm in, in your sport. Well, this dog did not work with drive or enthusiasm. And in his ad, he put proudly trained without the use of food or toys. And I thought, wow, up to now, only your dog knew what a jerk you were. And now you've just let us all know. So that is what I would call a punishment-based trainer. Somebody who, and, and I don't think they really exist anymore. I don't know. I could be yeah. naive. I could be naive. But like dogs be... will work. The absence, of, the absence of punishment is reinforcement in that, for that dog. And dogs will work to that level. Because I don't think it's a coincidence that dog is God spelled backwards. Dogs are just gifts from heaven that they will they will do these things in spite of what we're doing and not always because of what we're doing but unfortunately humans believe 
and get reinforced for the BS that they do, in this case, the punishment-based training, and, and not using reinforcement other than the absence of punishment. And um, it just proves that dogs will put up with anything and keep being amazing for you because they're just gifts that, that uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen my video, The Journey, but I, I believe God, the dogs are here to help us to evolve to be our highest self. And um, but we have to be open to the lessons that they're sharing with us to help us get to that place. And I know I'm a long way from it, but I know that I'm a long way from where I was. Yeah, I think I mean, that, I agree with that. And that's we, we no matter what approach we're using, we have to evolve and we need to get better. And there is room to get better no matter what. And who knows, as you said, in 10 or 20 years, where we're going to be. And maybe there is the day that even in society, we don't have cops to give you tickets. Who knows that there might be, you know. Um, but back to the punishment-based trainer, like what I always say, it's just that the, the, the line, the phrase is flowed. And the reason is because you cannot use punishment to make a dog do something. You can use punishment only to stop dog from doing something. And when you, I, I, I think it's uh, misleading just to put more dramatic to, to kind of amplify. Um, I, I don't know if you agree with me or disagree, but um, if it's punishment-based training, I don't see how you train. I think you can. I think that fellow that put that ad is a punishment-based trainer because the reinforcement is the absence of punishment. I think you can do it, but I don't I don't think in today's day and age there are many people trying. At least I'd like to hope there aren't. But you many. have to be able to teach the dog to do something, right? You can teach Otherwise if you're just punishment. stopping. You can teach a dog you can teach a dog with punishment to stay in heel position. If they move out of heel position, they get punished. The absence of that punishment tells them that's reinforcing. This is where you should be. So in so that you situation, can. you're using negative reinforcement. You're, you're still reinforcing than punishing. Yeah, anyway, I, it's, it's a, something with that phrase that... Um, I, I think it's Yeah, used, and it's like, it's I, I, like to, you said, to, terminologies of... Uh, of um, force-free. I mean, I, I call myself a reinforcement-based dog trainer. I don't mm -hmm. call myself force-free. And I don't know, um, like, it's not like I use force, but I, I actually, I use reinforcement. So I think that better defines me than mm -hmm. force-free. Because mm -hmm. that's saying what I'm not. It's not saying what I am. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um. And I, you know, here's, here's, I think that as we evolve, and as I said, reinforcement-based dog training is just, I mean, it's its not like it's new, right? The Baileys and, and the Braylons were doing this back in the 50s with great, great, great success. The things that Bob and Marion and, and, um, and uh, Braylon were, were able to do with all species of animals is mind-boggling. So it's not like using reinforcement is new. However, in the world of dog sports, it's very, very new, you know, in the last 30 years. So we are evolving. But the evolving for me has been like 
when I'm in a dialogue with people about dog training, I would like people to be able to tell what kind of dog trainer I am by the kind of dialogue I'm having with them. And I think that if I truly am a reinforcement-based person, that the respect I extend to my dog is the respect I extend to humans. And I think that needs to be more obvious. And I think when I, like when I jump into this conversation with people who don't have the same uh, philosophy of a dog training, like I got, I got a lot of crap thrown at me when I was in that little conversation. Mm -hmm. I got called a liar by somebody who didn't even know me. So is that how you show up to your dogs? That, that violent, you are different, therefore you don't belong here. Like, I just think people should reflect on that. Who I show up to, to my dogs is who I want to show up to everyone in this world. Like that, you know, and there'll be a lot of reinforcement based people who will be critical of me having this conversation with you, Ivan. And, and because they, they are of the, the thinking that you people who want to use punishment have had ample opportunity to learn what we've learned. Now yes. we're not going to extend the, the rose uh, or the, the, the olive branch anymore. Yes. And it, you know, to me, it's, uh, you know, if I can, I can make one person, one podcast listener on your podcast curious about what we do, curious about potentially leaving punishment. It's a win for me. 100%. It's a win. So I think it's, it's worth it. I remember my, my grandfather was a, a missionary in Northern Ontario. He lived in the Indian reservations. And when I was in university, he would write me letters. And one day he wrote, he said, I hope you're only associating with Christians. I'm like, how are the rest of the world going to learn how yes. good Christians are? If yes. Good Christians can't associate with them. Yes, I love it. Yeah. And, and so I, I kind of look at it the same way that, um, and, and that's what I told you, know you when where... I said, I'll be, I'll, I'll be on your podcast, but we have to have a little conversation first Yes, because I am an independently strong woman and I don't, you know, somebody in this conversation last week said, do you know how to condition an e-caller? And I, I don't, I also don't know how to juggle chainsaws or throw hand grenades. There are things in my life I know that I don't need. So if I was going to use an e-caller, I would be calling my friend Ivan. I, I, I don't, I, you know, to this stage in the last 30 years, there's nothing that I've said, oh man, I wish I had an e-caller. And I think in sometimes it would be kinder if I did use an e-caller. You know why, Ivan? Like Tater Salad, for example, he didn't get the freedom he would have got on this property if I put in, if I was somebody who used an e-caller. So he's another sacrificial lamb. By going to an e-caller, I wouldn't have learned all those layers of reinforcement that I can now share with other people struggling with rescue dogs that don't want to use punishment. So unfortunately, Tater had to suffer not getting as much freedom. Now he's, I mean, he's never on leash. But because of that, I learned new games. I learned new ways. If, reinfor if, if an e-caller was one of my tools, I wouldn't have learned all of that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it... It, it allows me to continue to grow and evolve so I can help other dogs and, and other people in similar situations. Are you ready for my next question? <laughs> I think yeah. it's an interesting one. Wait, these okay. are questions hey. that we kind of play games with, actually, with, with my friends. And, we, you know, like, and I, I feel like I can talk Is like there this. Is alcohol involved, Ivan? Uh, questions and friends? Yes, some, some gin and tonic, like you drinking. know. We have to, 
we have to, right? Um, but do you think, and this this actually twofold question here. The, the, the first part would be, do you think you can tell if a dog is trained with some, some form of aversives at some point? Only if the dog trainer was poor. If it right. was a really good dog trainer, no. You right. can't tell the difference. I really, because I think a good dog trainer at you and I, what, what makes us good dog trainers isn't the tools. It's our timing, our criteria and our, our reinforcement. That's mm. what makes us good dog trainers. So if it is a good dog trainer, absolutely not. If it is a bad dog trainer, 100%. Yes. And that's my problem with, um, you know, I, I made a comment that if I had to vote today to ban electric collars, I would. And my problem isn't, although I think it stunts your ability to grow and learn if that's a tool in your toolbox, like I just mentioned with, with Tater. Mm -hmm. My problem is the fact there's there's got to be upwards of 100,000 to 500,000 electric collars sold every year in America. Yes. Maybe what, 1% are being used properly? That's my problem. I feel for those dogs that Got somebody's it. going to your big box store and buying a collar that, that doesn't even have a vibration setting or something kind at the bottom end and just saying, listen, you. Yeah. 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 You know, a, th that's, very... that's, that's why I, that's why that my vote would be happening. It's a good sure. argument. Um, so my, my sub question, would you confuse a situation where a dog is trained purely positive that, make the assumption that he's, he or she being trained with aversives. Is that possible? Well, I think if I put that video out of Buzzy mouthing every toy and then showed him not mouthing a dumbbell, how many people would think I'm lying? How many people would not believe that was trained without the use of punishment? Yeah, but that, yeah. right, right. But that's, that's not uh, what I'm asking. I'm asking, you know, like you can say, you, we can, like I have, a lot of times I would have, I, do, I, I think we do a lot of similar things. We, we're, we are competitors, but we're also teachers and we, we constantly, I think our biggest contribution is actually teaching people how to love and be doing the right things to their dogs. And I get videos sometimes to where somebody is super proud that it's never, the dog's never been, you know, on a, Prong collar or any form of aversive, whatever it is, and then the dog is on a any command, being downstay, being heel, being something. And when you look at the dog, you clearly see that the dog is not in a happy place. It's, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But there is, and, and we're going back to the emotional side effects of of negative punishment if used. And where I'm going with this is you, any training can be good or bad. And I, I also see, I see very bad training with electric colors, very bad training with prong colors. I don't see as much on the other spectrum, but I do see, and, and, and the thing there is that I see 
trainers that are really believing that they are doing the right thing simply because they're not using aversive, but somehow failing to recognize that the dog is not feeling good. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I, yeah, there's, and that for me, I see people that go through our program and they, that's the number one thing. The dogs are joyful. The dogs are having a great time. And, um, but there's a lot of different ways people approach reinforcement based dog training. I believe unless you're doing it as a game, it's harder to engage the dog because dogs love motion. Dogs love excitement. And I, I also think it's harder to engage the human because like what human isn't going to sign up to play a game every day with their dog versus you will do these exercises 10 times and put your hand here and do this. Like they're going to give up. They're not really going to follow through with it because it's boring. And so there's so many ways to approach dog training, but I see that evolution happening, Ivan, that you're going to see fewer and fewer of those um, dogs that just want to throw themselves on a sword because the reinforcement-based dog training was applied wrong. But yeah, I've seen them. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's great that they're proud because that's that's the first step. Now let's let's help them see the emotional state of their dog. And, and that's something that I talk about in my podcast a lot is the dog will tell you when your training is right. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I like that. Now, I remember reinforcement-based dog training. It's like pickleball. We're brand new. We're mm. just we're, and so the people who are trying to teach it, they're maybe not the best teachers, and they're maybe flawed in their methodology. Um, but they know they don't want to use punishment. So maybe the, the end result of what they're putting out there isn't great. But I have a lot of people that come through like our recallers programs and then they start teaching that in their backyard. And that, so there's more and more and more really good dog trainers out there that are, are using reinforcement based strategies and getting happy dogs. Because that should be the guideline for all dog training, I think, is let's get happy dogs. I think, yeah, happy dogs is is the priority and the, yeah there there is um just just as you said there um you agree that um you know like when when training is done right it's impossible to tell what somebody has been doing and my my approach to this is i really like what you're doing like i not just like it I, i'm obsessed in love with what you're doing and I need to know how you're making this happen and whatever you're doing I don't care what it is but please teach me that's my strategy right Um, somehow this is kind of where we're going to get a little bit probably in in difficult waters Um, we always point to the worst case scenario when it comes to aversives. Even with the studies, when studies are done, and I told you we're doing a study, like we're actually just setting up the field the next two days here, comparing positive reinforcement and and punishment uh, on a lure course. And it will be interesting to see because I'm genuinely 
interested to see. But uh, uh, the the worst case scenarios in in a lot of the studies, they admit that when it's done right, it, it it's not just okay; it's actually perfectly fine. But there is the worst case scenario, and therefore. And the worst case scenario is very simple. The one is contingent, the other one is non-contingent use of aversives. And it's almost no need to make a study. Like any any dog trainer that is above certain level can tell you that that's going to lead to a disaster. Um, <clears throat> but somehow we get stuck on pointing always the bad, the worst case scenario to the point that if I... And I, I'm now trying to think as I'm talking, but to the point that if if I tell you, well, you know, positive reinforcement using using treats, I don't think it's a good idea because if we start giving the dog chicken wings, cooked chicken wings, it's going to end up in an emergency room at best, right? Because of the the bones that are cooked, the sharp bones, and so on. And and you're gonna laugh at me. And you're gonna say you you're a lunatic. Who would do that, right? And I wish that somehow we think and we talk, not in such an extreme way, and always pick on the worst case scenario. And I will tell but you. But I gave you the example of the best case. The why I I would prefer that the best dog trainers in the world that are using an electric collar why it's detrimental to them is it stunting their growth that they they don't grow in how to use reinforcement because they have the crutch of punishment if i take away that crutch you have to learn to fly a different way and that was the challenge that i said that it's possible every if everything you're doing is possible without punishment. And if I said that to you, would you still choose to use punishment? Right. So there is the there is the cost and benefit, right? And punishment again like I let's try to supplement the word punishment because it's it's really Wait, not Wait, you didn't answer my question. If you could do everything you're doing right now with reinforcement, would you choose to use punishment? I would 100% not do it. I would okay, well, absolutely I, move for two months or half a year with you, but you have perfect. to give me a good well, reason. A good like I, I really believe that if, uh, if there is a way that we are not using aversives and we, ch- and, and we are just as successful and we are accomplishing what we need to do, but we choose to use aversives, I, I don't see how in the world, why would you do that? Unless aversives, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to say, like when we say punishment, it just, it, it's not the right terminology. Um, and it's important to make a note that it's not the right terminology because we can use aversive, we can use something unpleasant, something mildly discomfort, something extremely discomfort, something mildly painful, something extremely pale. There is, in aversive, there is levels, right? In, and I don't know if you 
saw that um, presentation that I did a few days ago about the yeah, but yeah, you, you you if you think of playing hot hands, two kids playing hot hands, there is discomfort, but there is a game, and you're willingly you're willing to play that game, and partially you're willing to play the game because of that element of discomfort. And it doesn't matter what we want to call it, but this is negative reinforcement. And so we can use aversives to suppress something, or you can use an aversive to encourage something. And that's the difference between punishment and negative reinforcement. So it's, all, it's totally wrong to put everything into the word punishment because negative reinforcement can be just as fun and sometimes I can argue that it can be even more fun when done correctly as a game. When we look at two dogs playing, when we look at two dogs interacting in any way, they're mostly in that spectrum of interaction between, and we can argue, well, but you're not a dog, you're not the mom, and so on. But there's really in that spectrum of playing through use of a little bit of discomfort. And sometimes the play gets too rough and the one says, no more, right? So right. if I was, if you were sending your child to grade one and I was the teacher and um, we, we learned simple math and then I was going to test your child and I said, what was one plus one? And she said three and I said, ah, ah, and gave her a light slap on the hands and asked her again and and she got it wrong again and gave her a light slap on the hand i'm not hurting her that that would uh, be i've taught her what the one plus right. one is or would you prefer me to play make a game out of it and where she can learn it in the con without the punishment absolutely like wouldn't you choose to not have your child be punished 100 percent. so to, to so but again, that's flawed argument the belief the belief loop that we all have is our belief so my belief is that our dogs are always doing the best they can with the education i've given them in the environment i put them in so if they make a mistake they chew their dumbbell it's either the environment i put them in is too hot for the education i've given them or there's some missing elements in my education if your belief is that there comes a point where the dogs are going to say i don't want to and i have to use my punishment then that's going to change your thoughts when you see your dog do something. If I see my dog do something, I, I'll say, oh my God, is there something wrong with my dog? Instead of, why are you blowing me off? I've never used the word blowing me off in reference to my dogs. And I have a bulldog, right? right? Like I don't, that's not the terminology. So our beliefs create our thoughts, our thoughts create our emotions. If you truly believe your dog's blowing you off, you're gonna be pissed. And then our emotions, create our actions, you're going to hunt that dog down and you're going to say, listen, you little bastard, don't do that again. And then your outcome, that, that action creates the outcome. And the outcome is your dog's going to learn. Sometimes you're a jerk to them, right. but that's going to keep feeding your beliefs. So our beliefs are what create our actions in dog training. We, if we want to keep, keep like, I know every year I'm evaluating if I use negative punishment in a session, immediately i or if my dog doesn't do what i expect 
I immediately go, where did I go wrong? Where was my training flawed? I never go, I need to put an electric collar on my dog. Right, right, right. So because that's my beliefs. So I'm just challenging everybody that listens to this podcast, challenge your own beliefs. And if you're a fixed mindset, you're not going to do anything different than what you did yesterday. But I love that old line, if we always do what we always did, we'll always get what we've always got. So let's try something different. And, you know, Bob Bailey, I just love him. But he's got this great line in that um, dog training fails because people expect way too much of their dog and way too little of themselves. And I always want to show up for my dog and expecting the most of me and not of them. Yeah, I love. I, I mean, I cannot, there is nothing that I would disagree with. The um, um, it's just that where we were with hot hands, you really went. That wasn't an education. That was you just went a game we very, played. Yes, you went very far to two plus two Cause, cause, equals cause, four. Because we're talking about. Yeah, sorry. We we took it to a, a very different place, and yes, two plus two equals four should not be. There is there is no room for slapping. That's not that's not education. There is uh, I, right. I, I there is no thing to disagree or or even to be talked about. But do we not let kids play hot hands? Do we not get let kids play almost any game that we can think of? Well, not any game, but Hockey. but I would say fifty fifty of the games include negative reinforcement. I think it's a it's we're building. It's in our DNA, it's baked. We are there. And a big difference that I, you see, I, I got a little hot here because it frustrates me when uh, I just envision people listening. And, and these are very good examples when we start comparing kids and humans. And, and I don't mind it, but we all need to somehow calm down and understand the huge difference between dogs and humans is that humans can get instruction. They can think abstract. If you can explain mathematics and art and whatever. Dogs language... So that doesn't, doesn't that mean it should be easier for us to use punishment with humans than it is with dogs because we can explain it to the humans? I'm just going to give you this little smack. Doesn't mean I don't love you. We can't explain that to the dogs. Wouldn't it make it easier to no. use punishment with our training? With no, that quite the thinking? opposite. Quite the opposite. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty. You, it's it's exactly the opposite. Um, we so, can, we can but tell I a kid, believe hey, that I can have that. Comp- you have to you have can- to do something, and you will get your PlayStation, or you will not get your PlayStation, or or whatever. You know, like we can talk, and we can we have lang- we are humans. We are we are a species on our own on our planet. This is but I have the language with my dogs and I, I have a conversation with them and they have a conversation with me. So my conversation is so my are you saying that you can teach your dog mathematics? I probably could if it was important to me, sure. To to, to what level? Because of course we can teach a tricks. There is the famous horse hands, right? I mean we can we can do things. We know. And it's not well, that it hasn't been tried. Hans was Hans really didn't know math. We know right, that. but we know um, that it's been tried. I mean, Ken Ramirez recently tried to do something. I mean, and, and I am not yeah. against it. We should try it. We should try it. It's it's beautiful that we are starving to to push that envelope. We should, and maybe one day we break it. 
But but my, my point isn't about math. My point is about the conversation you say we can have with children. We're having them with dogs, except their their language is their behavior. But we have to be open to take their feedback, their conversation. The conversation shouldn't be one way. I am teaching you and you will do what I'm saying. Like it should be a two-way conversation. 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, I just had to interrupt that idea of teaching a kid mathematics and being slapped because it just, uh, th there is no room for that. And what we are talking is um, there is not, uh, you know, it's apple as apples and oranges. There is just not. Uh, and, and again, we have to uh, still. The way, the way I was raised was the way <clears throat> I trained my dogs. All the, the nine nine of us kids were all raised the way my I mean I think my parents used more negative punishment back yes. back then. For example, they would call us down for supper. We'd be watching Disney. What would they do? What would most parents do? We wouldn't come because we're watching Disney. So I I again like I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Where my disagreements are, um, dogs' language dogs interactions is highly based on using some form of aversives. This is all they do. This is the animal kingdom. And it's fun. Sometimes but it's... We, we use aversives when we play. I mean, they use aversives when we play with each other. But if one dog gets serious, then that ends. Correct. So when I'm playing and I'm smacking my dog in the ribs, that... If somebody can, you could say she's physically hitting her dog, but that isn't a game that the dog knows. I'm not using it to create a behavior. I'm using it as a part of a reinforcement. The dogs are not like dogs. Punishment to dogs isn't about learning. Punishment to dogs is about survival. And life with us shouldn't be about survival. It should just be about learning. But again, like I, we, we have to make a distinction. I think it's time to, to make a distinction when we say punishment and negative reinforcement. Two very different things. One stops, one encourages behavior. So if you're saying punishment, I always think of something, okay, we're trying to stop the dog from doing something. And then there is the other option, which is we're making the dog do something. And we're using something, some discomfort, something unpleasant, something whatever. Um, but we are something on something the dog doesn't like. Something the dog Let's doesn't like. Something, spade. yeah, something uh, yeah, the dog wants. Yeah, we're using something to. the dog doesn't like, and Correct. then we're going to stop doing what the dog doesn't like, and that's reinforcing. But what right do we have to do something the dog doesn't like? When there's when you, an opportunity to do what they do like. That's what I'm trying to say. The dog actually. So I'll, I'll give you an example. One, I use, no. I use, I'll give you an example that will that will be a trigger for you. I use a head halter on my puppies. Mm -hmm. Head halters, like oh my god, that's horrible. But I don't. I use a head halter in a way that I condition the dog to want it on. If they don't want it on, I don't use it. And when they want it on, then I I've been given the right to use it. Mm -hmm. So and you know. The only time I use, I would use it is if I if I'm going out in public and they see other dogs, then I I have control to turn their head away. 
Yes, wow. that. But I would. I probably use. I probably spend the first three or four months of a puppy's life getting playing games with a head halter, turning their head in tug with it, before I will ever use it. And when I use it, the very first time I ever use it, my goal is to never use it again. And so I. I think belief has never even had one on and she's nine months old, but she's been conditioned. She'll let me put it on, but I've never used it with her. Mm -hmm. But I spend a lot of time with my puppies conditioning them to have it on, but I don't ever slap it on. Like I mentioned rough love, the conditioning process. And it's only there to help them uh, be aware of their environment and be aware of their surroundings so that I can set them up for reinforcement. Because I think puppies out in public on a flat collar, get more punishment from their owners than they do reinforcement. Puppies on a head halter get more reinforcement from their owners because we can set them up to be yes. reinforced. So that's one that most people hate. when I, It's a trigger to so many people when I say the word head halter, but they have no idea that um, how, how we're conditioning it. And how little, like every time I put it on, I'm like, am I moving forward to never mm-hmm. using it again? So like my two-year-old, I don't know. She she had some fear aggression with dogs, so I used hold it up, for hold that. Hold on, hold on. Let's um, stop. Let let me let me pause you, uh, um, because we we are. I mean, there's so many things we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, going back to negative, negative reinforcement. reinforcement, use of aversives, yeah. and being the dog language. Most certainly, we can have a lot of fun, and kids have fun, and dogs have fun playing negative reinforcement and punishment. When it gets to worst case scenario, it's a disaster. Nobody argues that. Just like, as I said, you eat cooked chicken, you give 20 hot chicken wings to a dog, things will be bad. Uh, we, We should know better not to do that and there is education for that. When we talk about halter and let's say we talk about, I can, like we can, absolutely 100% replace the word halter, gentle leader, any of those head colors to with a prone color. And we can argue that we can do it exactly the same way that you said, and we will have the exact same results as you said. No, you won't because you can't turn the dog's head. That's the only reason I use it. I use it to help them realize there's a dog over there. I help them to realize that there's reinforcement this way. I don't ever okay. but correct them on it. Where a pinch collar doesn't wait. work to affect behavior until you apply pressure to hurt the dog. Regardless, I don't want to say hurt to cause discomfort. I don't want right. to be, because right. I know, I, I know I'm talking a lot. I know you can condition any kind of punishment to be more benign for a dog, that it is like that, right? The example of the video I have on my YouTube channel with the what actually I call the conditioning bad dog punishment to be benign would be a very bad idea because then you have to go to some extreme levels to be successful. But when you use a halter to change the dog's direction of, you know, not looking at the dog or not wanting to go somewhere but to do something else, this is a, a I mean, it could be either negative or, or negative reinforcement or positive punishment where clearly using something aversive to change behavior. And this is the analogy that I said, that we can use the prone collar for the same reason. Now they both work in a different way, but ultimately they 
are designed with the same idea to use some level of discomfort and that's at the discretion of the owner to change behavior. Can we agree to that? No. Tell me why. Because it isn't causing discomfort. Because I would never put a head halter on a puppy unless they have brilliant heel position. And I wouldn't put a head halter on a puppy unless they would willingly put it on themselves. Right. And that when I when I wiggle that head halter, then they're going to turn towards me. Like they're so it, it's I'm I'm not and I just use it so infrequently. And I realize when I do use it, I'm only using it. As a, because I don't know how to get what I want without it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I will. Mm-hmm. So the amount I used a head halter on Buzzy, for example, way more than I used one on my two-year-old. And I said, my nine-month-old, she's been con- conditioned to it, mm-hmm. but I've never taken her out in public on it. But Susan, we can argue that you're extremely well-accomplished dog trainer. That We are not arguing that, that part. But we can argue that you have absolutely zero reason to put even a gentle leader on your dog because you can make it in 100 different ways. Correct. The reason the head collars are on the market is not the what uh, you're yes, describing. Agreed. agreed. The reason agreed. they are on the market is to prevent dogs from Negative pulling. reinforcement. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. We will agree with that. Okay. Um, now I, I say that almost all the time when we go back to banning electric colors, if we ban the electric color, we have to look at the, we, we really have to look what happens in Europe because we have now almost 20 years of, a a, a sample, a, a study it's really like we, we know what, what happened there. And what, what do you mean by that? What happened there? Yeah, so you know the, the, the electric collar, the prong collar, all those are in many countries. Yes, banned, absolutely. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because they inflict pain. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Now, the reality is very unfortunate because this is already 20 years Mm -hmm. it's not like a few months or two years this is we're talking at least 20 years in some of the countries yes trainers dog owners that have used it in the past and that have not used it in the past continue to buy them if they continue to buy them, they're not just hanging them on, on some wall. They're used. They are hidden. And if we ban electric colors, like as they are banned in Europe, there is two choices. Some of the people that use electric color will say, oh, you know what? I cannot do that. It's against the law. And I'm a citizen that obeys the laws of the country. Many people will do that. But then they don't get the answer. They don't get the solution of whatever their problem is. And now they're put in another fork. 
Now it's like, okay, I cannot use electric color, but I can use slingshot, paintball, two by four. I can kick, I can do anything still aversive, but in a much more harmful way because I have no other option. I have no solution. I don't, I haven't found Susan Garrett or Susan Garrett didn't help me even though she offers solution. Now I know you're not gonna like that, but hold on, let me finish. Um, the other option, and all those three options are very real because I, I go every month, like I, I, I'm from Europe. I, I, I know what happens mm-hmm. in every single country. I follow all the legislations. I follow like religiously this, uh, a passion of mine for some reason. The other option is people are heartbroken giving up on their dogs because they're abiding citizens in their countries. And I would get a call, and these are real people, like I, I can tell you the names of the people. Um, I have a dog from Switzerland that I got called and it's like, hey, do you want that dog? She's two years old. I'm not allowed to put bark collar on her. I'm not allowed to have prong collar. I went to two trainers. I sent the dog to Germany to another big school. It came back. They promised that it's going to be good. This is all with verifiable information, okay? So when you do two, three times and you do the best you can and you're failing a two-year-old dog that basically is a Malinois, I got the dog. I paid for the shipping. I got the dog. It's in one of my best female in my breeding program. This is one example. I have four or five just to make the story short. Um, the, the problem with legislations that ban things is that they make you feel good, that make you feel that you're successful. But unless we can give that next step of this is what you can do, and it works, if not better, just as equally successful. If we're failing that part, banning does not work. Now, I think banning, banning we, is like, um, if we it's like say, using punishment on people, which is the irony is it's reinforcement based people that want to ban things for people who use punishment. But if you're really a reinforcement based person, wouldn't it be better to help the people who are using the tools you don't like to So, but can you imagine, and again, we're going to go back to human uh, examples, which sometimes we can do and sometimes not, but I, I personally I can cannot imagine human, I personally cannot imagine human society at present time without punishment, without, you know, like, there are those people that just simply need to be stopped. There is, there is um, I mean, they, they can be, you know, even dangerous to themselves. They're just trying to take their eyes out or, or rape somebody or, or whatever. And yes, some, some are sick, some are whatever. There is, of course, there is so many different arguments and we can go, go into different places, but 
if somebody continues to drive drunk, he has to be punished eventually. If somebody goes and steals my money, he has to be punished eventually. Um, when, when we're assuming that that's, that's where we are, um, with those examples that I gave you, if the bands are clearly not working, and this, this is where I was going with this, they're clearly not working, it is way better not to have a ban, have everything open, and continue to do the best you can to teach and educate and help everybody to leave it alone. But I think, I think that's what people are trying to do. I don't know. I, I know when I taught in uh, Sweden, maybe 15 years ago, um, the reinforcement-based dog training people, group, they were miles behind. They were not very effective dog trainers at all. Today, I think they're amongst the best. So is that because their tools have been banned? I don't think so. I think that they're just curious people who, who want to train in a specific way. So, you know, I, I do know that, that, um, there's more and more brilliant dog trainers in Europe and reinforcement based dog trainers. And I go back to, um, I go back to as long as you have that tool, you'll just use that tool. It does, you're not going to look for solutions that are reinforcement based because you have that tool. And there's always flawed people who just want to be mean to dogs and they'll throw paintballs and all those horrible things that you said. Yeah. And so those and people, unfortunately they're always going to be in our society. I right. don't think there's anything we can do about that. Right. right. Um, but I don't think we should make it easier for those people to torture dogs. And I, and I, and I, and I said before, like, I mean, that's extreme examples. I know 99.9% .9 of the people who have an e-collar are not, going to torture a dog because I would I think 99% of the people who own a dog love dogs and the only reason that they would use any form of punishment is either they have no other solution or they think that is the best solution for that problem with that dog and I don't know why in the era of of uh, the internet where answers are so prevalent why there's such this massive divide between the camps of dog trainers. Right. And I think I, I, this is my personal opinion because it's always something that I just, as you say, I am very, it's a big question. It's a big why always in my head. Why is this happening? And I always try to search for different answers to that. Um, and I always ask even in my podcast or dog friends or um, I, I most certainly have very, very, <laughs> Um, good all force free trainers or balance trainers or whatever like you know um, I, to me the answer is not that complicated I think if we have a better option kind of how I was giving that analogy with the flip phones flip, flip phones and the smartphones on that my video presentation with the aversives. 
the market is a very good barometer of what goes on. Like if uh, you and I agree that there is always, like we, uh, as you asked me, I very clearly told you 500%, I will not do it if there is a better way. Now, in the same token, if you watch me train a dog and you see that the dog is clearly, absolutely enjoying what's going on, just as it can be enjoying how two dogs play, that's a very difficult argument and conversation to have. But if... If we have, um, um, if the market, if, if people continue to buy those tools, somehow we are failing to show them another better or at least equally important option. And just because there is a study and says that there is a better way, that's not enough. We need to know, just like how we got stuck on that situation with that hold an hour ago. I'm like, Susan, tell me exactly what do I do? I think that's a very important piece that it's missing. Like uh, you mentioned uh, David Zappia. You think it's possible it's missing because I have to be curious. You don't have to be curious. Hmm. I have to be curious because I don't have any other tool other than reinforcement. You don't have to be too curious because you have other tools. So is that why? And, and it's for me, it's, it's just who I am as a person. Like, no, and hats I, I off to you. I, I absolutely admire you for that. And uh, I, I sincerely mean that. Um. So is that, is that why? this is such a mystery because there's always tools you can go to when you are stuck. When yeah. I'm stuck, I have to sit in a quiet room and meditate. What are some other options that I haven't thought of? What are other possibilities that I haven't come up with? And I don't, I don't think it's going to be this hard forever. It's this hard now because we're playing pickleball. This is a new way in the last 25, 30, 40 years that it's slowly evolving to not use punishment. Yes. So it is hard for those of us who are willing to make those changes. And for some people, they're going to like, I'm not willing to make changes. I'll stick with my punishment until you get that shit figured out. Then it'll come in and do it when you've proven without a doubt that it can be done. But it's been, you know, there's just so many people doing it. And I just think getting ahead of it is it's just, I, I love the newness of it. I love, and that's why I love speaking to people in other dog sports that are doing this. Mm -hmm. and yes, a, I, a I, again, like I, 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 I'm, I, I agree with what you're saying. The reason why this is happening, I, I really believe it's that, you know, um, it, it, I mean, you're presenting interesting argument Maybe, yes, I have a flip, I have a smartphone. Why would I go to something else when this works very well? Especially, right. especially if there is no side effects. There is nothing, it doesn't come loaded up with, 
I'm not gonna just drop it and oh shit, I just got electrocuted by my phone. I have all the answers, right? But at the same time, that phone can do so much for me. Um, and and again, the, but the there is side effects are, with all punishment. You can't say there's no side effects. I can't let that one go. We know that there's fallout with all punishment, even with the me. best dog trainers in the world. There tell will me. be there is fallout. There's emotional fallout for for the dog. I mean, it's been there has been many many studies that mm-hmm. have shown that. Right. I know you mentioned some older studies, but studies in the last twenty years. That have sh- that have compared the difference between positive reinforcement and and the use of punishment. Th- I mean, I don't want to go into the science because there's always was it Susan Garrett training one set of dogs and was it you know Ivan training the other the other set of dogs. I mean, we there's 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 but we do know that there is always fallout. We can't always predict what it is. Yeah. But there's there's always fallout. And yeah. So again, I I this is. This is the argument that we were just certainly not going to agree. And this is the problem we all as a community, dog training community. But the argument is, you already said, if you knew it could be done without the punishment, you wouldn't be doing it. So, Well, here, here is the thing. We are going back to the exercise with the hold. Yeah. Like you said that you're gonna take a very methodical approach and you're gonna, if something goes not as you want, you're gonna evaluate what went wrong and then you're gonna start to build the blocks and, and make sure that it happens again. And what I would do is I would say, hey, don't do that. And I would move on. Like I would move on, like my training will be extremely faster comparing to what you're proposing. And I promise you, there will be zero side effects and, and emotional and damage. And you would never from that. have to say, "Hey, don't do that ever again." And you would never get another bite. I doubt that because you wouldn't be asking me so many questions about it. Say, say Was that it again. Like by using the punishment to stop the biting, the implication you have is you'll never have to go back to punishment again, and your dog for the rest of their career will never mouth the dumbbell again. I'm telling you, my dog never mouthed the dumbbell, so I wouldn't have to say, hey, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But you're saying just one little punishment without any layers of reinforcement, one little punishment, hey, don't do that. They're never going to mouth. I just worked with Call a lot of driven white. dogs. I, I work with a lot of driven dogs that that's all they want to do is bite. So... You know, back to my Jack Russell Terrier, if she wanted to mouth and I didn't want her to mouth, there was no punishment that was going to stop her from mouth. Right. So, so you, you kind of, you, you assume and speculate that I will just say no and it's aversive and it's punishing and I would not do any of the things that you do. And that's not what I do. I, I would no, I, no, I, I would know you use, use a everything lot of and reinforcement. Yeah, I would yeah, use yeah. everything that you do. I would just go, hey, don't do that. And we move on. That's it. Mm-hmm. Now, in positive reinforcement world, you would call this a quick fix. And quick fix somehow means a bad idea. And I don't see it as a bad idea. I think no, sometimes... quick fix is always a good idea. Right. If it works. Right. But it doesn't like a. I have yet to see one that works. And even um, 
I was looking at, um, because in, in one of the conversations that I was having on that thread, somebody said when you they use an electric collar to stop problem behaviors and it never comes back again ever, ever, ever for the rest of the dog's life. And then I'm, so then I'm like, I can learn about electric collars then. So I went to um, Ed Fraley at Learberg. He had the 10 rules of using an electric collar. Rule number, I think, nine was don't ever get fooled that the behavior is learned because you used it, that you'll have to wear the electric collar for the rest of the dog's life. And I'm like, okay, well, here's some right. pretty arguments right. within the community yes. that are using yes. electric collars. Yes, and, 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 and that's, that's, the, that's another big problem that we have is because when I'm talking to you about the electric collar and you're giving me an example from some conversation on Facebook and something um, on, on some other platform, we, we, it's a wrong, it's really a, a, a wrong thing to put everything on the same pot. This is sure, the idea. Sure. We have for to, sure. we have to recognize. But I believe in behavior drift, right? And behavior drift I do is too. all behavior goes back to what is natural. Sure. And for a Malinois, biting is natural. For swag, for buzzy, Chewing, chomping, mouthing was natural. So um, punishment applied once, no matter how hard. If it if it's natural for the dog, the behavior is never staying static. So if I teach Fuzzy that game but and I or never not, reinforced it, Susan, I think it would probably go back to what's natural. Chewing or not chewing is they are both natural. They're both natural. You you will have a mom that's gonna pick up a puppy and it's gonna be super gentle and will never just destroy the puppy. You know, like not chewing and chewing are just absolutely okay, normal behaviors, right? For for that dog, there will be some dogs that will be easy to get not to mouth versus other dogs. It's in, in you know that dog in their nature love to mouth or. Mm. It may be even not who they genetically are, the environment that we've trained them in. So Buzzy is a product of all the negative reinforcement that I was using in his dog training. Mm -hmm. So potentially it was that that created the frantic need to bite everything. Correct. And, and again, like I hope, ho I hope that you and the people that listen to this conversation understand my point. And, and, and my point is that we can accomplish very very well like nice training we can explain things very well or we can fail and we can do some horrible things and what we need to focus on is on the trainers and the methods that are so extremely successful regardless of what's going on and educate and Educate also that this is a bad idea. And this is a bad idea. But when you clearly, as you said, like, okay, you cannot tell that this dog is trained this way or this dog is trained this way. Like, I, as I mentioned earlier, I would be genuinely interested. I'm like, what are you doing? Because I don't care how you got there. This is like the ultimate picture. You have a dog that's so in tune with you and it's just so flawless and I'm out of words. I please show me. 
And I don't care what you're doing because whatever it is, it's a different level that I'm not familiar with. So if they said they were injecting cocaine in the dog's veins, is that okay? Like you so, say you just want to know. <laughs> again, you, you, this is like the example of hot hands and, and two plus two with the slap. Um, no, I probably would not be okay with that because clearly it there is a, a lot of money. I, it's, it's, it's not just the money. There is the cost and benefit of doing that, right? That, that's, a, that's a different conversation. Well, um, I, would, I would hope, though, that it isn't just the outcome that makes me want to know what people are doing. I love talking dogs, and I love talking dog training, but um, an outcome to me isn't worth taking a different direction to what I more believe is right for me. Mm-hmm. in my life with dogs. Mm-hmm. So and here is a here yeah. is interesting one. Can we train the dogs in the army to, that really have to do certain things mm-hmm. and have the control in these moments of mad aggression in a fight? trying to stop five terrorists from killing a baby. And that dog is ready to go and damage, do serious damage. He's not playing around. This is not playing around. This is, I have a mission to hurt you and stop you because that's what I'm trained to do. Are you going to feel comfortable that without that control of using aversive, you can stop that dog from going to the woman and redirect them to the guy that actually wants to kill the woman. So is the question, would I be comfortable with the dog without being trained with aversive? Right, right. Would it be possible? Would you, I, not, not would it be possible, but yeah. would you be disconfident? Can I, can I, I'm going to share a story to answer that question. Mm. I don't know if I told you this story when we were talking. So um, Bob Bailey um, told me that they were assigned a project from the military to train With dogs to find... Oh, the dogs. No, dogs to, to, to find trip mines yes. buried in the ground. So they used only reinforcement, and the dog would go along and uh, prevent the man or the woman from going near the trip mine, and then they'd go off and find the next one. But the uh, head of the army, I don't know, what, whatever, um, said they wanted the dogs punished. And uh, the Bailey said, there's no need. And they, um, they said, a, a person's life is at risk, so we can't have those dogs not be punished. So... They did it in layers because they couldn't get those dogs to make a mistake. So the first layer was they put bacon fat on the tripwire and the handler would have ear protection. And if the dog sniffed or licked the bacon fat, a C4 explosion would go off so powerful it would make the handler's nose bleed. Because they believed if you're going to use punishment, the dog needs to think their life is over. 
There's no sense putting a little bit of punishment in. Punishment is only effective if it is, don't ever do that. So then, no, no, no. as that's you can not imagine- true. I have to stop it, that's not true. That's, that, in, okay. if, you, if well, you say it this way, that means that you park the car in the wrong spot and they just blow up your car every time you do that. that the punishment, you'll never park the car in the wrong spot exactly, again, will you? Exactly, but that's the beauty of so, punishment. It has, it, it reaches a level of consequence enough to convince you not to do something but it doesn't, right? But if you start low, there's a lot of animals that will just get used to the punishment. Yeah, and that's, and as a bad, that's just as so bad let idea. Let me finish my story. That just so then a lot idea. of those dogs were then disqualified because they no longer would work in this environment after that punishment. So then the dogs that were still left, they then starved them for three days and then put bacon fat on them, the tripwires, and there was still the odd one that would still sniff. And then the third thing they did is they then took the dogs and tried to push them into the tripwires. So there were dogs that didn't need any of that, that they could not get, even pushing them in. Mm -hmm. They could not get them to make a mistake. So do I think reinforcement-based dog training could get a dog in the heat of the moment to not bite the woman but to bite the man? Yes, I do. I do okay, because so I just hold on. I, 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 I've not. I've, have I ever? I've trained some police dog trainers who have come here. Mm -hmm. Have I? You know, because other people come to me for ideas, but there are people who've been thinking about this for thirty years. Have been thinking about ways to use reinforcement in dogs, like Simon Prince, and the who who works for the Belgian police force. The things that he's done with uh, scent detection for these dogs is is beyond, it, I mean, it, but it requires people thinking. Correct. That's why I said maybe it's 20 years or 50 years before we will convince Correct. the world that. Now, would you agree that a dog that's trained to detection and a dog that's trained in comprehension use very different emotions? And Are you moving the goalposts again? No, absolutely not. I think you I am, No, why would I be? I, I was talking to you about a dog that's sent in a room to neutralize a terrorist and you moved the goalpost to a detection dog. No. So we are uh, staying uh, in the uh, same uh, situation, okay. Yeah. right? Okay. So yeah, is it the two, are the two dogs working in the same mood, in the same emotion frame? So are you, are you suggesting then that reinforcement-based dog training will work for dogs in some emotional state, but not in others? Is that the, what you're suggesting? No, I, I just really asked you a question about the dog. Um, the, dog the, only, the only reference that I can answer that with is agility, because I've never been in the military. Right. I haven't trained military dogs, right. but I have trained dogs that... And I have very little control of outside of the ring at a world championship because they're so excited, as you know, they get when there's a big crowd. Right. And um, right. they, they, they That's perform a, it's their a, job flawlessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, for sure. Um, what, what, in your opinion, is the difference between agility, obedience, fly ball 
and the protection sports. Well, I, I, I guess I've never done the protection sports. I've just helped people train in the protection sports. I would think that agility is probably more similar, but there are some key differences. For example, in protection sports, the dog has to go over a jump. And I've listened to people talk about how they use punishment to make sure that dog doesn't touch that bar. In agility, if you use punishment to try and help a dog to learn to not to touch the bar, the fallout will be, and there's people that have used electric bars. There are people that have used all kinds of different punishment. You can't get a dog to run absolutely as fast as they can and worry about doing something wrong. And so in agility, we need them to be as feral as possible, as feral as possible. So you can run the, as physiologically fast as you can and still listen to every word and body cue that comes out of my body in a millisecond because you've never run this course before. This is all new. So they're different, but, they're, but there's a lot of similarities and we're dealing with very, very driven dogs because because there's only like half a second between first and, and tenth, less than that often. Right. And so and I think that the for me, it isn't that I've I've gotten one dog to that level. I'm sixty one years old in a sport dominated at the highest level by twenty and thirty year olds. And every single dog I've ever owned has competed at that level. It's not like, oh, I couldn't get this one there. Every single dog. Yes. Were they all the same? No. Some were Jack Russell. Some were Mutts. Some were Border Collies. Did they all train the same? Absolutely not. I all, every dog gave me new lessons that I could share with new people. Yes. So, so, yeah, there's a lot of differences. But guess what? There's not many people who can say that they've never failed with a dog. Every single dog to the highest level of the sport. Yeah, and that's every that's, single uh, dog has won one of the. Every one of my dogs has been on a podium, except for my youngest or my 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 like tater salad. Obviously not the puppy. Not I have a two year old who's never been at an international competition. But beyond that, they've all been on world teams. They've all been on podiums. Yeah, and and that's again admirable. There's no question. Like I hope you don't take this as. Like my question is uh, disrespectful no, and, and or I'm anything not like that because that's not what deflect. it is. No, but it's important. I'm, I'm to, saying that to say that like it's unusual for a 61 year old to be that competitive still, and the world is catching are up. You, are you offending me now? <laughs> no, no. But, but the fact is, I'm joking. There's more possibilities. What I think that the similarities between all our sports is it doesn't matter if you're a gifted dog trainer. It matters if you're a gifted dog trainer and a gifted handler. Because yes. there's a lot of good dog trainers that don't have the, the presence of mind under the pressure of a, a yes. big event to be at their best. So there's so many things that come into play to do well at that kind of a level. Dog training is just one of them. Yes. You still have to be a really, really good handler and have a great mental game as well. I am loving the conversation. Hopefully you too. 
Um, yeah, 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 me too. So well. if we if we talk about again, let's take not all protection sports, just let's just focus on IGP since you're a little more familiar. IGP and agility. What is different? We go back to that question because it's an important question. I will take you on a on a certain path with that question. Yeah, well, obviously the d- different skills. So the 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 main component is. No, I think there's two. There's two. Okay, you go. What do you think? Go ahead. I think that the the different skills and the fact that as a handler, I'm running as fast as I can. So I've got to do this breathless. So, so that puts even more strain on the dog to to be flawless. Right. Think about, I, I want you to really think of the emotions and the mood of agility dog and a dog that's doing protection. A person that's doing figure stake skating and a person that is fighting in a ring with somebody. What kind of emotional states they're in? Do you think agility is figure skating? No, I mean it's. I'm not saying figure skating in a bad way. I just came up with something, you know. But I think agility dogs, just like protection dogs, it's easy for them to redline because you're flirting with that line of their compliance in drive versus going overdrive. Of course, but the biggest difference is that the one dog is angry is aggressive and is trying to stop a man and this is a whole different set of feelings emotions adrenaline can we agree to that i i would have to if you say so yes yeah I mean, I mean, clearly when you have somebody in, in a... Uh, do you know for sure that a dog is angry when they're doing bite work? Do you, I maybe think, they're laughing I think, and thinking it's hysterical. Yeah, right, right, right. So I think you should trust me on that one because I've been doing that since 1983, let's say. And I'm very successful. Is it po- it's not it. possible that it's a big game to them too. Yes, it's very possible. So that's kind of where I'm going. It is possible. We can make it a game or we can keep it as it's intended. And the difference, there is, there's few interesting components and, and, and you're a dog trainer. So you, you will understand what I'm, where I'm going with this. We can create, it's still any, anything that we train in control environment can be, we can get creative and we can avoid certain ways and we can focus on different approaches to teach and, and, and reinforce and so on. But the protection sports have, it's almost unfair to even call them sports because they have another very important purpose. And this is to be able to select, to breed, select, and produce dogs that have that confidence to go in a fight 
and protect our city, our country, and so on. They actually have that important thing to wear. But do you think the dog knows that they're supposed to be protecting the country and the city? No, no. Okay, good. But I, they, I think that, what about the sheepdog who's protecting what the I'm, flock? Is that the same? Um, it's not the same. Uh, it depends if it's the herding dog or if it's the the Anatolian shepherd because the Anatolian shepherd's going to sleep all day long and then it's going to kill five wolves if they come around. I've, I've spent, that's kind of one other passion that I have, it's these dogs. Um, so, so even there, there are two different mindsets, right? And in a sport we can teach and, and just like how there is quite a few successful trainers in the sports of IGB that are force-free. And they're very talented. They're very good. Reinforcement-based. Very, very good. Reinforced, yes. Let's, let's do that. I, I should try to... I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll change that. One says who we aren't and one says who we are. Good. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll take a note. Um, but where, where I was going with until that trainer comes on the field and beats the shit out of everybody, there is no reason for us to, to pay attention to that trainer. Regardless of, I would admire it that they are so good. And there's, you know, nothing wrong to be, I want to train this way because that's who I am and that's, my, that's what I do. Hats you know off. what, Ivan? I think if I felt that way, <laughs> that agility would be still in the dark ages. I, I didn't need anyone to prove anything to me. I wanted to be the one to be the proof. Mm-hmm. And until, until somebody, because we've already discussed, being successful at a world championship, you have to be a great dog trainer, which these people may be but you also have to be an excellent handler, which they may not be quite as good. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a stable mental game, which they may be neophytes. Yes. So you can't say the way they train their dog is the reason why they're not winning world championships. And to say, I'm not going to change until you beat me. Like I, like I said, the sport of dog agility would still be in, you know, 10 years behind. Don't okay, wait. But it's not. You yes. be the guiding light. Don't wait for a guiding light. And, you and trust it. me. You're the, you've got the experience. You've got the mental game. You've got the handling ability. Come on. I'm challenging you, Ivan. And do and it. I try. Be the one. I try every day. I try every day. And I, I am so open and so proactive in searching advices. Like it's, for example, I had. In this last month here, I had the, the, one of the top IGB obedience trainers, two-time world is champion. He, is he reinforcement-based? Um, for the most part. I think for the no, most so part. What, what, I, what I want you to do is get a gathering of all the protection sport people who are just reinforcement-based. Get yes. them together and have a great discussion with yes, you. Yes, and we... There's a lot of people doing it. Um, but like I said, do they have those three things that you have or that, that's allowed you to earn your world championships? Yes, but that I, that's my, the point that, that I tried to make is that 
And I, I believe I started the conversation with that. I am not stuck. I will never be stuck. I am probably the most open-minded trainer. I would But are take, you growth-minded? Are you, are you growth-minded? No, a that's what I'm saying. Like, again, like we... Uh, um, every time I do something, I'm always looking for the optimal way. I am always experimenting. I am always experimenting. I never... I, I would... I would go into something else. I, I would start some different hobby if I stop playing around with ideas as a trainer. And I am not stuck as most trainers are in one way or another. I am an open book. I promise you. I know all the, in my sport and I know a lot of in other sports, force-free trainers or, or reinforcement-based trainers. Do I take suggestions? Do I see something? It's like, yeah. I'm taking that, yeah, not that, not so much. Uh, that's that's what I do, and 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 again, like if we if we try to change, we need to continue to search, and when somebody finds it, it needs to share it. Anytime there is something that happens. Like, for example, I will tell you again, this, um, uh, her name is Mia Scoctors. He's from Finland, two-time world champion. She had a hundred points out of hundred points in obedience in IGP, which on a world champion is never done. This is how wow. big that is. She has wow. never had any score less than excellent in obedience in a world championship. Well, she was here for a whole month. Wow. To exchange ideas. I am very attracted to, to new and interesting ways and better ways, and especially ethical ways. Well, that's good. But we need to show. We need, this, is, this is where we need to, like, we need to show it. And tell me the story with Debbie Zapia. And, and for everybody that doesn't know, she's a very, very well-known IGP trainer. She was vice champion and she was later on a world champion with a German Shepherd. So um, I should have looked up in my downstairs. There's an, uh, a guest book. So I was teaching at Cornell University. That's, that sounds makes me sound very posh and, and everything, but it was just a dog training workshop held at Cornell University. But to say I was teaching at... Cornell University, I instantly have more authority than I deserve. So I like to say that. And um, Debbie was in the audience. And a week or two later, this was 20 years or more ago, um, I got an email from her that said, I have a dog who I purchased who is uh, already uh, Schutzen 3, and, um, but he was tossed away. He has amazing bloodlines, but that the pre previous owner um, with the methodology could not get any kind of good work from him. He just got his bare scores, the bare minimum scores to, to qualify. But I'm interested in um, doing more with this dog. And so I'm I'm willing to take the risk and train him differently. And I was wondering if he would do private lessons with me. So... First of all, she had my instant respect. Anyone who has already achieved so much 
and is willing to say, I'm going to walk away from that and do something different. Now, it was with a dog that had no, nobody had any expectations with because it had already done so poorly. Um, but she would come up every two weeks and she would ask me questions like, you know, I have a, is your heel pattern like nine minutes long or something like that? It's super long. I, I, not the Compared healing pattern, but the, my, the obedience, my, yeah, the obedience phase of the, so we have tracking, obedience and protection, and they are separate. Uh, yes. You know, so it's about nine, 10 minutes long, the, the whole yes. obedience routine. So she would, she would, she would explain the behaviors she needed. <laughs> And then we would troubleshoot how to get them with this dog. More, it was always about more drive, more animation. And then um, late in the heel, the dog would lose uh, some attention. And, and she would be like, okay, so where I would just stim him, now I'm going to do these things before that. And, um, and it was a great dialogue back and forth. And um, she did not only go on to get better scores with that dog, she became vice champion of the world with the dog. And um, I don't, I, I think that was the dog. She either got vice champion or world champion. I think From, she, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think she did one time vice and one time world, but for I'm certain that she won the And then the world he went on to become this great sire. She had, I, I, I actually had some of her puppies come up and take uh, some sessions with me that um, he became this prolific sire because he was really a nice dog, um, but that he was maybe too soft for some of the methodology that was being used on him or, uh, originally. So um, I don't, I mean, I haven't kept in touch with Debbie and knowing I was having this podcast, I should have reached out and said, you know, where has that evolved to? I'm not saying she has gone to be a reinforcement-based dog trainer, but I do know she uses a lot more than she ever did before. Um, but it takes the willingness to let go of what you already know and to take a risk. Like some people are risk aversive. Some people have a scarcity mindset that they don't want to lose. Um, I always, you know, Take that foot off the dock, jump in the boat. You can always go back to the dock and do what you were doing last year. Try it, you know, try it and see what you get. But you can't try you, you, it. It's got to be a, a buy in of belief because it's easy to say, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. And this is why now I got to keep going back to my e-caller. You know, again, it's um, I just think it's exciting and new and uh, to to learn different ways to take a dog that is at that level of drive and get them to be thoughtful in drive because that's what like that's the, that's what we need from agility dogs to teach them to jump and there's so many different elements to why a bar would fall why did the bar fall if you punish the bar falling why did they fall did they stumble back here on takeoff did they misread the takeoff distance did they not rock back on their like there's so many things what are you punishing and yes. if you're just punishing the bar falling now the dog there you know the problem was back here there was a lack of education you didn't give them so i want the dog to be able to do all those things automatically without thinking and to keep the bar up and go as fast as their body can go and so you know there those those answers aren't always easy and i think it's um even in the sport of dog agility, there's still a lot of things we don't know. But the really cool thing is 99% of the elite level 
people at the the people at the world championship level are all doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So the sport is evolving so fast. When there's just a handful of people doing what you're doing, you're going to be a little slower evolving into a world where um, there's no need to go back to an electric collar to get the behaviors that you want. I, um, and I just think it's brilliant that dogs have put up with what they've put up with. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and the dog was not allowed out of the kitchen and they lived their whole life in a kitchen. I'm like, how is that even? Yeah. What kind of a life was that for the dog? I mean, we took her for walks and everything, but my, my mom didn't want a dog in the house. So, you know, 60 years ago, a lot of dogs weren't allowed in the house. Right. Right. Yes. That was, um, I used to bring homeless dogs daily and I wake up <laughs> and my mom is like, no, he wanted to go home. And then <laughs> I get another one. I mean, uh, that's Bulgaria, Eastern Europe. There's yeah. homeless yeah. dogs all around. That, that was yeah. a, actually a very, very interesting environment to, to watch homeless dogs all day long. But I would bring mm-hmm. them home and try even harder with the next one. And guess what? Oh. He also wanted to go on the street. <laughs> Every dog that I brought, no matter how much I tried, they all wanted to go back to the street. Of that was my mom's did. strategy. <laughs> and now oh, I yeah. have a kennel. And, and I think I think if that was not to happen, who knows? I probably would have not been that insanely Obsessed. crazy upset about dogs anymore, right? Yeah, um, yeah. To go back to Debbie's case, just so so um, yep. for everybody that listens, she speaks highly of you. She says hello because I I wanted to check with her. Fact check on you, on me. Of course, <laughs> thank you. Of course, um, and there you know, like um, she's a very complete dog trainer. As you know, she's very smart. Mm-hmm. She she's you know very intuitive. The fact that she came to you for anything to brainstorm and get something, I, I'm totally not surprised. I would do the same. I, as I said, I would search for any help and I will take anything that is, and if something overrides something, I will keep. And I'm sure she used and she's still using a lot of what you showed her at the time. At the same time, she is still using electric collar and and, yeah. and, and anything else. Um, in our sport, what is very interesting that it's different from almost all protection sports and probably all dog sports, including AKC obedience or agility. The IGP sport is on a, on a different level of extreme in the last 10 years and it's getting progressively more and more insanely difficult and this is that how the dog performs speed precision are very important but if speed and precision comes together with some form of pressure stress and avoidance that dog is pushed in a very low ratings and that training is really not encouraged what we want to see is a dog that enjoys understands 
and you cannot see, you know, worried about the shadow and and pinning the ears right. down and all that stuff. And I really don't know of any sport that it's so obsessed about the emotion of the dog when they perform. And I think this is a very good thing because it it forces the trainers, like any trainer that does anything, oh, I can make him go faster, but guess what, he's like this. He has no chance. And it's right. beautiful sport because nobody will go to take lessons from that person because he does not, he's not accomplished. He's, mm-hmm. he's just not successful. We, we learn from the people that are successful, people that come to you for agility, they come to you because they know that you have something to offer that is different and it works. Uh, as I said, the reason I have, anytime I invite somebody here, and believe me, I'm considered one of the top trainers in the world for quite some time in my game. But I am so open, I invite people all the time. And, and I think this is where we need to go. And what I wanna do is maybe off, the record later, if not today, tomorrow, we talk about inviting you to come for a, a, a couple of days or three days seminar with us. We have a very nice group and we are, I promise you, you will have a great time and we're very open-minded and I know that we're gonna take something out of it. I know. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you know we can have that conversation later on. Very, very grateful that we did this and 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 for a change it wasn't me approaching you you actually (laughs) was like ivan when when i was tagged into the i i don't get on social media to see all the conversations so when one of my students tagged me in and said this is going on with zach george and ivan and all these people you should reach out and so um i reached out and said let's train if yes. you really want to learn about this, let's train. So I appreciate that you, your openness and willingness to have the conversation and your openness to say, I will, uh, if, if, if I knew that I could train only with reinforcement, I would do it. So I... that is my foot in the door. And uh, so, and anybody listening to this now, if they're curious to learn, uh, um, you know, there's opportunities. I have so tell us very quickly. No, tell us, tell us. Yeah. I'm gonna list on the on the yeah. subscri- uh, description. You know, you your ways to find you, but uh, very quickly uh, about the so podcast, our, the school, our, and so on. So the website is dogsthat.com, and from there you can get to everywhere. The podcast is called Shaped by Dog, and we put our episodes on YouTube with. Um, demonstrations of how to do the things that we're talking about. And I believe in, in, you know, that you cannot give God. So I share everything I do. Yes, you can join our online programs. And for people who are listening to this, if you want to be a part of my online program, uh, just send my team a, um, an email at wag, like wag the dog at dogsat.com. And, um, just say, I'm curious with the title and, and we'll send you a link to get into one of our programs at a very, very discounted rate because this is you being a first time. So, like so, um, but the podcast, if you're curious, but you're not willing to take that big of a risk, 
go to my YouTube channel. There are so many demonstrations of what I do and um, so that you can learn and grow from there for sure. Beautiful. Susan, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Like sincerely. Yes, absolutely, this. Ivan. Uh, thank you for sitting down with me and letting me ramble on and on and on about how, how awesome and life I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to get you <laughs> to Florida. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you, my friend. This is how we end all of our, our Zoom calls um, here at Dogs That. For our team, I like we it. always end with hearts. So uh, I appreciate you. And I, I'm happy to know, I'll go to bed with a smile on my face, knowing Ivan said he'd be willing to do all reinforcement if he could still get good, great results. I promise you. Thank you. Thank you.